0: the Board Game Geek Podcast, where we geek out about board games, the mechanisms behind them, and the people who create them. I'm your host, Candace Harris, and I'm super stoked to be here today with Jonathan Cox from the John Gets Games YouTube channel. How's it going today, Jonathan?
1: It's going great. I love yeah. being on podcasts. <laughs> so you awesome. want me to talk about games, huh? I guess yeah. I, I can go for that. <laughs>
0: Cool. What's new What's new in your world?
1: Um. Well, lately, uh, it, it, I've been playing a lot of card games, and that is why we're going to be talking about a lot of card games later on. Uh, yeah. you know,
0: <laughs> you're like, what
1: topic do you want to say? And I'm like, well, how about the thing that I can't stop talking about for the last three
0: months? I love it. I love it. <laughs> well, yeah, today, as Jonathan alluded, we are going to be discussing some of the most interesting trick taking games that we've played and really enjoy, and yeah, yeah they're just not necessarily like our favorite trick taking games, but they are just games that have some kind of like unique twist or weirdness to them, just that just make them kind of stand out. Um, yeah. we we both had the pleasure of playing an awesome trick taking game together for the first time last year at BGG Con. Yeah. And we'll we'll talk about that a little later, but, you know, that and also <laughs> your, you know, love and passion, especially recent excitement for card games like this kind of sparked this conversation. Yeah. Um, I'm personally, I'm like loving this, you know, resurgence of trick taking games. I feel like. Every month, I'm hearing about some crazy new trick taking games that are coming out with like different themes or mishmashing, you know, different mechanisms with trick taking. And then we got, you know, Taylor in Portland with Taylor's Trick Taking Table YouTube channel where yeah. he just kind of showcases so many of these games so that we can know they exist and see how they play, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. I can't help but wonder if, if, um, there's more buzz about card games, trick-taking, climbing, that kind of game lately, or if a couple people won't stop talking about it, like <laughs> me and Taylor, and, 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 you know, it's kind of making like, is it artificial or not? I don't know, but I've been really enjoying Falling in
0: it. <laughs> yeah, I feel it too, so I feel it too.
1: <laughs> it does seem like there are tons coming out, though, and uh, one of the reasons I've been really enjoying it lately is because uh, just every week... I've been learning new ones and some of them are old. Some of them are brand new. There's like a couple different schools of design, uh, you know, with like some more classic stuff. I'm definitely going to be talking about uh, at least one classic, but then also some like modern stuff that seems like it's largely coming out of Japan that have its own kind of vibes. It's just, you know, it like every rabbit hole, the deeper you go, the deeper you go. Yeah. (laughs) And and the deeper you realize there's no floor to this.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I've been enjoying them a bunch and – Like, definitely love learning them. You know, I had... I think I think this kind of... Well, my love of trick-taking games kind of kicked off back in, what, 2019 or so when uh, Crass Carriart came out. It's, Uh like, that was a German version. I think the U.S. version is called Delt. Yes. uh, The English edition of it. Uh, But that game kind of was, like, groundbreaking for me and made me want to go out and buy a ton of trick-taking games. And I did at that point... But then um, I co-host on the Game Brand podcast occasionally, and I mentioned, like, I introduced that crew to Scout, and Mm -hmm. when I did that, um, a Game Brand listener, uh, another Portland trick-taking gamer, uh, Jonah... Ended up messaging me and was like, "Hey, I got some games to show you." And he, <laughs> we played online, and he introduced me to Cat in the Box and yep. a couple other like really awesome games. And then I also got to meet him for the first time at BGG Con last year, and he introduced me to a couple trick taking games that are actually going to be on my list. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I'm finding it super super exciting. And you're right. I don't know if it's just, you know, because we're personally very excited about it that it seems like it's this mm-hmm. this blooming thing, but <laughs> who knows?
1: As a fan of novelty, I really like these because uh, the mechanics can be so wacky, and the teachers are so quick, and the games are so quick. So you can just, like, get a ton of novelty, you know, play, like... You know, you could play like two or three of them in an hour, yeah. Uh like brand new ones. You never even heard of before. And it's just it's just kind of fun to to explore all of those uh those waters. And for me, Scout was, I think, the my, my gateway <laughs> card game as well. You Down know, more this the, rabbit the, hole. <laughs> the climbing shedding type game instead of pure trick taking. But uh yeah, I, I was actually taught. Scout by Taylor Redder uh, oh. of, uh, of uh, Taylor's Trick-Taking Table uh, like almost two years ago now. And I fell in love with it, played it a bunch, and then, well, I guess the rest is history. And we'll, we'll have a lot of, of history to talk about.
0: Right, right, this. right. Yeah. And Scout actually kind of, you know, I told you Craskariot was the first game that got me really excited about, you know, different trick-taking games and everything, um, even though that's technically a climbing game as well, I think.
1: Yeah, it depends on how pedantic you want (laughs) to (laughs) get.
0: But for me, like when I played Scout, I was just like, oh, I don't really need to play this other game anymore Mm because like Scout does some of the same things and but does some things that I like better. So, yeah. Yeah. All right, but before we start talking about some really interesting trick-taking games,
1: too late.
0: I'd, <laughs> <you're>, <laughs> seriously, I'd love to hear what you've been playing lately, Jonathan. So let's jump into fresh plays.
1: Yeah. So. I'm not going to talk about card games here because we're going to definitely get that out uh, <laughs> later on. Um, so a couple of games to talk about uh, that I played really recently. The first one is is kind of a, a new hotness, at least among heavy gamers, and that's Horseless Carriage. Woo! Uh, this is the yeah. new Splatter Spelling uh, uh, game that uh, just came out. It's all about building the first Cars and uh, Candace, have you had an opportunity to play this one yet?
0: I have had the opportunity, oh, awesome. and yeah, I feel like my brain is still smoking from it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, there are many uh, spotter designs out there. I've played a few of them, not a ton of them. I wouldn't say I'm a connoisseur, but um, they're generally uh, heavy games with decent sized teaches, you know, an hour or so, maybe more, and then usually many hours to actually play. And while I've enjoyed the experience of learning many of these in the past, specifically like antiquity and food chain magnate, um, I haven't fallen in love with any of them. Mm. And so far, horseless carriage is definitely my favorite after one play. And the biggest reason for that is because I'm a bit of a care bear, <laughs> and <laughs> uh, you know, it, spotter games are well known for being sharp. Like mm-hmm. uh, they will mm-hmm. they'll cut you if you make things if you yep. make a, a mistake. And you know, you'd be a couple hours in, you make a mistake, you could really. Have trouble. I mean, that was my problem with food chain magnet. I think it's a brilliant design. I played it like three or four times and just one too many times somebody undercut the price of the hamburgers and then all my hamburgers <laughs> rotted and I, I just kind of went out for it. But yeah. with uh, Horseless Carriage, it's interesting because if you're doing badly, you just don't get as many victory points. Uh, it doesn't actually matter mechanically if you're doing good or bad. So it's this interesting thing where you can be playing poorly. So you, you build this factory in front of you. It's kind of like a, a physical polyomino uh, puzzle. For the most part, they're like, you know, squares and rectangles and that kind of thing. You're trying to jam all this stuff in, make these supply chains, or I guess manufacturing chains to create the cars, and make them safer, and do all sorts of stuff like that. Um, and again... If you totally botch that, which you will for sure the first time you play, yep, you're yep. just gonna get less points. But the next round, you can build your factory just as much as the person who's crushing you on the victory point track. So <laughs> it's an interesting thing where you you're allowed to play everything, even as you're doing poorly. You're still gonna lose, but at least you get to tinker with the stuff. You know, if you had money and you needed to spend that money to build your factory, then maybe it would be different. Like, oh, I'm doing very poorly, so I don't have money, so I can't build infrastructure. So it's it's like a negative cycle. There is no uh negative cycle in this game you get to play with all the toys i I feel like it's like bowling like you know you you essentially have the bumper lanes out and like (laughs) you play with somebody who doesn't need the bumpers and they're just going to keep crushing strikes but you're playing in the same lane and you might need those bumpers and you're probably still not going to beat them (laughs) but at least you feel like you're in it anyway that's kind of where i'm at i mean there's This is like literally an hour long teach. There's so much you could say about this, Um, but after that one play, it took us like three and a half hours for the four of us. First play for all of us. Okay, Um, I went away from it really curious to try it more. Like the specifically that factory puzzle is so neat, but then there's this whole supply and demand, uh, um, uh, uh, supply and demand. Chart almost of a a varying demand of things, and it's it's very it's very tactile because you put these like hoops around it, like like lasso (laughs) customers, kind of. But then you competitively could take people out of other people's lassos. It has nothing to do with the West, but anyway, it's a cool game. It's a really cool game, and so far I think it's well on the way. After one play of probably being my favorite spotter, um, uh, I have played. I guess the Great Zimbabwe as well, but there's a bunch I was bunch just that about to tried. ask
0: you if you had played The Great Zimbabwe because yeah, that is that my once. favorite Splatter. Yeah. And
1: I, I really enjoyed it, uh, but I got crushed. And it was one of those games oh. where as I got crushed, I felt like I could do less. And, and I don't really think that's a negative on the game itself. And I really do want to come back to that one. Maybe not playing it with a person who totally. Saw all the lines yeah, where yeah. I didn't. But yeah, I, I definitely want to explore that one more. Indonesia is another one that I haven't played that I've heard great things Me about. Me neither. Yeah. yeah. So there's, there's definitely more to explore. But for now, uh, Horseless Carriage is kind of – it's got my brain. And uh, we're already in the process of trying to schedule another play of this one.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. So first I'll just say I, I, I think uh, The Great Zimbabwe may be my favorite splatter. Uh, uh-huh. But if you're at BGGCon, we should definitely try to play that and or Indonesia uh, mm-hmm. because I've been wanting to play Indonesia forever. I think I'm going to love it, but I just, yeah. yeah I had, I'm in the same boat. Yeah, it was it was one of those things where like right when the pandemic was starting and everybody was getting on a uh, tabletop simulator, uh, we were like, I had a game scheduled and I had like, it, we were having issues because everyone was connecting to, t- to TTS. <laughs> it was right. like back in those days where it was like, yeah. you know, everybody's just home trying to, Play games online, but uh, Horseless Carriage is awesome. So I had the uh, privilege, I guess, of playing it at a private gaming convention a year ago, like a near finished prototype. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. And Euron, uh, actually, you know, one of the designers uh, taught the game. And I was just like buzzing and like loved it. Love, love, loved it. I still do by the way yeah. um but that initial impression was so strong and i just remember whenever you go to that phase where you're doing that spatial puzzle building out your factory which is mm-hmm. like simultaneous like my brain every time it was like we got to that phase i'm just like oh no stress stress that is such yeah that that is such a challenge for me um that that spatial puzzle but i love it and i just love the design and it's like every splatter game, you know, whether they're kind of mean and you know you get crushed or whatever, <laughs> I still like it's it's something I always want to like play and try to just keep getting better at, yeah, like my first experience with food chain magnate was uh, i have it was a three player game, two people who were like very super experienced with it. And they were great. They were, like, holding my hand, teaching me. And I thought I was getting the swing of it. And I was kind of building my restaurant all the way over on the other side of the you know, the map. Uh-huh. And one turn, I kind of got lazy and loose. Uh-huh. And I, lo- I lost turn order. And that was it. Like, the, yep. the game, like, <laughs> <laughs> that mistake just kind of crushed me. And then another player took advantage of it. And it was just like, hmm should we continue or like is there any chance for yeah <laughs> so i i feel you there but yeah i love horseless carriage i got my copy a couple weeks ago and i hadn't punched it because i was waiting for my etsy insert to show up cuz it yeah. has so many little bits and pieces that i was well, like i heard
1: it's 19 punch boards <laughs>
0: it's 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 something crazy like i yeah. spent actually i got the insert over the weekend and uh i ended up spending um, like one evening, just like we're watching a, a movie or something, and I'm just like punching and organizing, punching and organizing. Yeah. But now it looks it looks great. And so you <laughs> can imagine. Yeah, so I'm so st- I'm stoked to play this one more too. Something I've played recently, which I know you have played, is mm-hmm. Lowlands. Yeah. So so on episode 13 of this podcast, uh with Simon from Amass Games, I basically mentioned how I'm not into farming games. Like For some reason, I, you know, I don't need to have a theme that I love, but there's something that turns me off a little bit about farming games usually where I'm like, eh, like I haven't gotten into Agricola yet and I feel like I should be super into it, but something like just didn't excite me about it like the couple of times I played it. So anyway, literally the day after recording that episode and talking to Simon about how I don't like farming games, something, something, our brains are so weird, but like something made me think about Lowlands. Like Lowlands is a game that a couple years ago I saw, like I was walking by a table at a convention and I saw, I was like, ooh, what is that they're playing? And it was Lowlands. I also remember like I have a friend of mine who has Lowlands and I remember he liked it a lot. But again, I always was like, whatever, it's a farming game, you know. (laughs) So for some reason that popped back into my brain after I recorded this uh, episode 13. So then I started like looking it up, reading some reviews, watching some videos, including your playthrough.
1: Yep. I got a full playthrough out there.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Which is excellent. And I just got like really excited. I was like, I want to play this game. So then I like ended up ordering a copy from someone uh, secondhand on the BGG Geek Market. Got my copy, and uh, I think I got it, I don't know, like a week or so ago, but I ended up playing it twice so far. Awesome. And I played it three players, and then I played it with four players, and uh, Lowlands is a game that came out in 2018. Uh, It's designed by Claudia Partenheimer and Ralph Partenheimer, and it's published by uh, Fjordland Spiel, and Z-Man Games has the uh, US edition. But it plays with two to four players and in the game we're farmers basically and you're kind of breeding sheep and you have this board, a farm board where you're able to upgrade it and you're building fences around different squares on your farm board to like create pastures Yada yada yada, farming stuff. <laughs> but uh the who co-
1: cares about farming when yeah. <laughs> there's a flood on the horizon? Exactly. The cool <laughs> thing
0: about the game is that there's this main board where this flood is kind of developing, and one of the actions in the game, or one of the main, the core concepts of the game, is that the players we are able to build a dike to prevent this flood from like washing away our little sheep, mm-hmm. and it's. A really cool mechanism because there are these cards that flip. um, You know, you play over like three stages and there are these different phases. And one of the phases, you're going to like reveal a water card to see how much water is going to come. And you have these little, these wooden water pieces that are kind of filling out the board. And then one of the actions the players can take is contributing to building a dike where you are spending resources to uh, not only advance yourself on the dike path, Track, which is important, but you're working together to kind of complete sections of this dike by spending resources. And there's another phase where we check the dike to see if it holds, meaning we built the dike far enough that it, you know, passes where the water is Mm -hmm. or to see if it breaks. And there are implications in either scenario. So, for example, every time you contribute to this dike path, Um, you're going to move or to building the dike, you're going to move on this dike path and you're going to be, there are a certain amount of points for like every couple spaces. Like, Oh, this is one point. This one's worth two points. This one's worth three points. And every time you take that action, you have to ask one other player if (laughs) they would like to contribute. And so brilliant. yeah, Yeah. Yeah. So you have to ask somebody, and if they do, they get to bump on this. If they contribute um, resources and help, they get to bump on this path too. But then you get to bump an extra step. So anyway, if this dike, if, if it floods, the players who are furthest behind, meaning they contributed the least to uh, helping build the dike, are going to get hit with these breach tokens. And it's yep. based on the distance between where you are in relation to the person who's furthest ahead on that track. And then meanwhile, if the dike holds, then you get coins. And the further you are, again, ahead on this track, the more money you'll get and the person who's furthest behind doesn't get anything. But even more importantly, depending on whether it floods or if the, uh, if the dike holds strong, there is this value that is being manipulated throughout the game. So at the beginning of the game, I think it's like every dike path point is going to be worth one. And then all of your sheep are worth three. So as we flood, this this kind of like eh, stock market kind of mechanism is going to shift in one direction. And if we don't flood, it shifts in another direction. And so we are kind of like through what we are doing as players with (laughs) building this dike or not contributing and flooding, um, changing the value of what each sheep is going to be worth at the end of the game and also how far you are on the dike path. Like those points will get a certain value. So it's, you know, the, the main mechanism, like what you're doing throughout the game when you take actions is you you have your own private board of five different actions. So it's not really worker placement. You're, you're kind of like placing a farmer on a space and... Yeah. If you want to take the same action twice in the same round, you have to, like, pay a buck per every farmer you have there. Um, but the actions are really straightforward. You build fences. Uh, you can gain resources. You can buy and sell sheep. You're also trying to build uh, these different building tiles on your board, which can make you, you know, operate more efficiently. Because... You know, there might be a game where every sheep is worth... My first game, every sheep was worth four points at the end of the game. So then you're trying to breed as many sheep as possible. So anyway, I think it's like this awesome, solid, medium weight game. And I love that the the pricing or the value of what you score at the end of the game is kind of driven by players and how much they're contributing to the dike or not contributing. I love that there are just like five actions and they're all kind of... you know, straightforward, but the tiles are all, like, the different tiles you can get are very interesting, and you have some player interaction there, because I had somebody, like, I had my eye on a building, and I was like, ooh, that's gonna be perfect for my farm, and then the player ahead of me swiped it up, and I was like, no! (laughs) Uh, But yeah, what are your thoughts on Lowland's?
1: So I was super excited when uh, this first came out. You know, like you said, back in twenty eighteen. Uh I, I played it a couple of times. I made that video, and I don't think I've played it since I made that video. Uh, but it's still in our collection. It keeps surviving culls as we were. <laughs> <do games, laughs> nice. And that's because I keep wanting to come back to it. And a really interesting thing that I've kind of figured out uh subsequently, I'm really glad you mentioned the stock market with that uh the dike track, because you know, there are no stocks anywhere in this game. But right. Subsequently, what I've realized is this is a shared incentives game. And I loved this game and I couldn't figure out why. Ah. Uh, back in 2018, 2019, if you asked me about train games, I would have said, please, no, like, absolutely not. <laughs> One of my hard vetoes. Like, I just thought I hated games with stocks, hate, like, all that kind of stuff. It just mm-hmm. did just, I just didn't like it. But then I love this game called Lowlands and, and I, I can't really figure out why. And as I've <laughs> gone through, gone through my, you know, board gaming hobby, I've noticed certain games over the last like 15 years that I just love for reasons I can't put my finger on. And then in 2020, I realized, oh, actually, I love Cube Rails games. I love stocks. I guess it was more 2021. And now looking back, I'm like, oh, I totally see why I loved it. Because it's all about that interaction. It's all about, I could do this, but it helps you. So maybe I'll do that instead so that you do it. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I I really enjoy that. In some games, you're just like, why would I build the dyke? That makes no sense. You have so many sheep. I want them to drown. Yeah. (laughs) You know, it's this ecosystem. And again, there's no stocks in here at all, but it still gets to the heart of that shared incentive mindset where you are all interacting in a really fascinating ecosystem way, where everything you do is going to ripple into what your opponents did does. And sure, sometimes you're, you know, denying opponents things like you build a building they wanted to build or something like that but more often than not you do something that's just going to affect everything and so yeah. you know somebody does this or like you know i'm going to build this and you ask somebody to share and they don't and you're like oh no you know, like, <laughs> <laughs> and, and they say no because you know they want the flood to happen or, right, or something like right, that right right it's just uh, a really smart game and i'm really glad you brought it up because I kind of forgot about it, and now we're talking about it getting all pumped up, and I'm like, okay, you know what? I need to get this one played
2: again. We own it. It's been
1: (laughs) years, and it is such a cool game. I I will say, the only uh, supposed flaw with the game, I haven't tried it, but I've heard it's quite poor at two players, which also leans into the shared incentive thing, where most shared incentives games are three-plus players. Right, right, right. And so I've played Lowlands at three and four, and it was excellent at both of those counts. I've never even tried it at two, but I have it through through good reports that it's probably not great. at that Yeah. But hey, that's, I that's could, still fine.
0: Yeah. I, I I could see that. And I'm, I'm totally fine with just like breaking it out with three or four.
1: I, so many good two player games. You just totally. play. Totally.
0: Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so that's lowlands. What else you've been playing lately, John?
1: So trains, right? Trains. I just talked about them. me falling <laughs> in love with cube rails uh, and, you know, train game type shared incentive games. And so, there's this game, one of my favorite of the uh, the train games, uh, and also arguably Cubrails games, is a game called Dual Gauge. Uh, it came out in 2020, uh, designed by Amabel Holland, published by Holland Spiel. It's a three to five player game, and I really love this game with a pretty heavy asterisk. Uh, before I get to the asterisk, though, have you played this one before?
0: <laughs> I have not. I have always wanted to, because I love mm-hmm. Holland Spiel games, but I've just, for whatever reason, have not gotten to play Dual Gauge yet.
1: Sure. So. This is a brilliant, uh, streamlined, in my opinion, version of 18xx games. And I know some people really bounce off that. Like, I just said that, and I know at least one person just like...
0: Cringing. (laughs)
1: Cringing. (laughs) They're cringing. (laughs) Because uh, this game does some things that are kind of opposite to a lot of 18xx games as well. But in my opinion, it gets to the heart of the fun of what I enjoy about 18xx games. But the game, dual gauge is like 60 to 120 minutes. Nice. As opposed to being five to eight hours long now i am not an 18xx gamer i played four of them so i have some experience but like i'm much more a fan of cube rails and like you know like, like i said the 60 to 90 minute gaming experiences but what dual gauge does that most cube rails games don't is it really puts you into the mindset of of the company running so in most 18xx games and dual gauge you have a series of companies and players are going to buy stocks in those companies and then the player who has a majority of stocks in that company will run that company so the players themselves don't take turns the companies take turns Mm -hmm. so when it's the red company's turn whoever controls the red company gets to do stuff with the red company and other people might own red stock but they don't have the majority of red stock and so they what they do is going to be affected by what the president does and then boom shared incentives right Right. it's a fully competitive game you want to have the most money at the end but you have these things jostling back and forth but um the thing that sets dual gauge apart from all other Cube Rails games, as far as I can think of, is it has neutral track. So in Cube Rails games, mm. generally, the cube is the rail. I mean, it's right there in the title, right? <laughs> you put a red cube down, and it's a red rail for the red company, and only the red company can use it. Maybe the blue company can lease through it or something like that, but it's, it's a red cube. But in Dual Gauge, the, the tracks are neutral. So any company can use those tracks, which is, again, kind of similar to 18xx games where you're putting hexes down that any company can travel Mm, through. There's also blocking where you can put stations on these different spots and then stop other train companies from running through. And then probably the biggest thing that shares some DNA between these is you actually get trains and you buy them and you put them onto the company. So the red company has trains. You don't have trains. The red company does. And then you use those trains to run routes on those neutral tracks, which – is what you do in 18xx games. Totally. So th- there's definitely some things that are different. Like the way you run the routes are different. The way you use those trains can break a bunch of 18xx players' brains for reasons I won't, <laughs> I won't <laughs> bore you with right now. So it- it's kind of one of those situations where I almost feel like dual gauge is almost better for people who haven't played 18xx, so they won't get confused by the differences. Gotcha. But if they're like curious to try 18xx, I think playing dual gauge first is probably good. And then you could play 18xx and be like, oh, okay, this is I like this stuff. Yeah, yeah. So, at the very beginning of this, I said I love this game with an asterisk, and that is that um, I don't love the two maps that come in the base game. So, when you buy this game, it has two maps, uh, and in my opinion, they they're just fine. They're not particularly exciting. And and because of that, um, I know quite a few people have tried them and they've th- they've said, oh, I thought I'd like dual gauge more than I did, but it was just a little bit bland or something like that. But there are currently two map packs of double maps. So essentially four new maps that have come out. And I know there's a couple more maps that are planning on coming out soon. I think they're, they're planning on putting two maps out a year for the foreseeable future. In oh, cool. every single one of the expansion maps that I played, I have loved And so specifically the last two weeks, I played Dual Gauge twice, both with the Wisconsin map, which comes from the first of the expansion map sets. And it is so cool. I love (laughs) this one so much. It really has diesel trains. So if you're familiar with the ATXX games, you've got diesels in Wisconsin, just Wisconsin, like the other maps don't have that. And that's another thing I love about Dual Gauge as a system because you put the map on the table in front of you and it has... These modifier rules, these specific things that are all different um, for that one map to the next. So again, you have diesels in Wisconsin, but then uh, if you play England and uh, Wales, you have passenger trains, which are like sort of diesels, but just for passenger spots over in these certain specific spots. When you play um, on some of the other maps, you have things like bridges you have to uh, build over, or like uh, developments you have to put down. There's just all these different incentives, wow. and um, and I just love it. I-, I could ramble on about it for a lot longer, but I will continue to <laughs> ramble dang it. Uh, so the, uh, next I love thing. it. Keep going. <laughs> I was going to stop You're myself. Get me hype. Um, every one of those companies has an asymmetric effect as well, which also kind of gets you into a little bit of what a lot of ATXX games have with minor companies and major companies where you can get these minor companies at the beginning and then you kind of like sell them into the majors and combine them. Well, in dual gauge, it's kind of like they're sold in there already. You already got these little things and they're not crazy usually sometimes they're like oh this one company gets a a payout if it reaches this one spot or they get a reserved station in this one other place or sometimes they are crazy like on one track one company can sell trains that's it. You can never sell trains in any other map with any other company, but <laughs> but here's this one map where you could sell trains, and that's, that's just like cool. a brain-exploding kind of thing. And you have um, other companies that can, like, lay track way faster, and, or they get better payouts when they go over rough terrain, which is more expensive, and blah, 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 blah. There's just so many asymmetric things that are in here. And again, it's just like one big piece of paper, you know, essentially the map that's going to change so much of this. So I... Love this game, and I'm so excited that I got to play it two Saturdays in a row with the same map, and I got to see completely different game states with those two maps as well. You know, I- I've been talking about this game. It's called Dual Gauge, and I haven't even talked about the Dual Gauges. <laughs> 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 uh, I-, I should probably wrap this up, though. I- Tell I'll me just about say, the Dual
0: Gauges, Doug. Oh,
1: fine. There's Narrow Gauge and there's Standard Gauge, and you, know, you can lay these different types of gauges down, and like I said, the gauge, uh, the track is all neutral. But again, there's narrow and standard and you can only run a standard train on a standard track and a narrow train on a narrow track. So you can still really mess with things. You know, if you see somebody making a standard track out to wherever, you slap a, a narrow gauge right at the end of it. And suddenly that's really going to jam things up in a variety of really interesting ways. The standard trains and standard track is more efficient, but it's more expensive. There's just so many of these things that all knock around in just brilliant ways. There's there's so many other things that, um, that work so well. And I just, I just want to, uh, you know, tell people about it because, yeah, I, I don't I think that. it got yeah. a, a particularly amount of uh, – a large amount of hype. And it is a little bit of a a tough sell for me to sit here and say, you should totally play Dual Gauge with an expansion map. Like, you know, <laughs> right, right. You, you're free to play it with one of the base maps. But I, I just want people to know who do that, like, the, the other maps out there offer even more interesting uh, decisions and variety and asymmetric effects and whatnot. And, yeah, this is arguably – my favorite cube rails game, but also I think there's an argument to be made that it's not a cube rails game at all. It's just, a shorter train game you know that mm. like they takes 60 to 90 minutes because it it's so different than most cube rails games out there and anyway this is a not a podcast about cube rails so i should probably I, wrap it up hey but it's I, cool and i i would love to play it more <laughs> maybe you and i could get it played at some I, point
0: i would love to so you just got me extra excited like dual gauge when i first heard of it you know when i first heard about it i was like this is gonna be a game that i definitely want to try I I do love me some 18XX and but it's yeah. hard to get those games to the table, you know? Yeah. And I'm not I'm not that big of a fan of doing the async thing on 18XX.games all the time. You know, yeah. I'd rather be in person or just, you know, play real time even if we're going to play online. But that, you know, shared incentive I think you were saying like yeah. I love those kind of games as well. I love like market manipulation. Everything you said just sounded super exciting. And I love that, again, like (laughs) dual gauge, you know, in a similar, you know, similar way to 18xx, like there's like a system, but like you can play a different map or a different version and it tweaks. Yeah, that sounds awesome. So, uh,
1: yeah. Oh, there's train rusting. (laughs) <laughs> awesome but if you play on england and wales the way the trains rust is completely different and bananas like you can even oh. rust the, the the best trains in the game yeah i'm
0: so. i'm gonna i'm gonna get this as soon as we stop recording i'm serious i'm serious and also i'm also just wondering how many other games you're gonna have me buying after today <laughs> <laughs> um that sounds awesome so thank you for mentioning it and yeah, uh, i love hearing your excitement for it and it definitely, you know, again, pushed this up on my radar because I've always known about it and I always knew that it would be something I liked. I just have not tried it yet, but now I'm going to...
1: I'll give you the push. Yeah, (laughs) I appreciate
0: the push. (laughs) So um, kind of on a different end of the spectrum, I ended up playing last weekend um, a big, epic kind of 4X civilization building game called Europa Universalis: The Price of Power. This is a game that is based on um, a PC game series from Paradox Interactive and it's yeah, it's basically a 4X civ building game with a historical setting and it's designed by Ivan uh, Vetlison and it has it actually has a solo mode by David Terzi which I have not tried but I think it's really cool that a you know a big epic heavy sieve building game has a solo mode and I, I I've read that it's like really cool too. Um, so it'd be cool to try that at some point. but um Europa Universalis is published by Ajir games and it plays with one to four players, but you can also play with up to six players with the fates of Empire's expansion. I actually demoed this game at Spiel uh, last year 2022. And uh, I enjoyed it. I was like, wow, there's a lot going on. But there was also a lot that kind of tingled my brain. And mm-hmm. um, they were nice enough to send me a copy of the deluxe edition so I could kind oh, of nice. kind of check it out. And I've had it for like a couple months. But I just I knew it was going to take a long time to learn it. I knew it was going to take kind of a long time to dig into it and play it. And I just hadn't had the time and, until recently that I made the time. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you basically you have this like large map of like mostly Europe and you during setup, you'll put out all these town discs like you have two different sized towns, small towns and large towns and like kind of having them off of your your player board will increase your income. So it's good to, you know, uh, have your towns on you're kind of like controlling these different provinces by having your town marker on them. Everyone has their own like player board that. And multiple player boards actually, because you have like different boards where you'll put, you'll manage your armies. You have boards where you're kind of uh, managing these these action cubes you have, which are monarch powers. So you have like administrative ones, and then you have uh, diplomatic action cubes or uh, monarch powers, and then military, and you use them to kind of take actions throughout the game and and play action cards. I will definitely say this game is a bit of a table hog. Uh, Four players uh, playing this took up my whole entire table, and I can get a six-player game of uh, Twilight Imperium <laughs> on my table. So you know, if you know the size of Twilight Imperium, um, yeah, it's huge. this is yeah, this is ends up being a kind of a sprawling game. It looks epic. It looks really epic, but it's definitely like a bit overwhelming. <laughs> um, so in the game, your goal is to build the most successful empire and aka you want to have the most victory points at the end of the game um you can play like it has a ton of different scenarios uh, we played the 1444 introductory scenario um where i was playing as austria we had one player was france one was england and one was castile and um that particular intro scenario is played over two ages And each age is four rounds. So technically playing that introductory scenario would be eight rounds. Um, We did not quite make it that far (laughs) because we have four new players. Like We ended up playing, uh, it was very much like a learning game, but we played uh, three rounds of the first age. Um, and then people had to like go and had evening plans, so we couldn't oh, and that that took us over five hours by the way.
1: Oh geez, yeah, okay. that took
0: us over five a hours bit of context. Yeah. <laughs> but uh you score you score points in this game like a lot of different ways, you know, for your for any provinces you own again, having your town discs on provinces. For exploring territories, there are different like diplomatic relations points you can get. You can get points from victories and wars. You have you have these uh, secret mission cards, which are cool. They're basically just secret objectives, and that adds some spice because you never know what people are exactly what people are going for. And then you can also get points. There are like public objectives, which are like milestones, and then you could research ideas, which is like tech tech track kind of stuff. And then the first person to like research a particular idea gets two points and then every other person who researches that researches it after gets one point, they get one point too. Right. So it's like you're incentivized to kind of be the first to research an idea that other players are going to want to also research. Seems um, like The
1: kind of game where you can't do everything.
0: No, especially not in your first <laughs> not played play. It.
1: I've just been looking at uh, some images on board game geek yeah. as you've been talking. Yeah. Like, wow. It is a lot. <laughs> it,
0: it is a lot. It is a lot. And it, it feels like a sandbox type game. Um, where you can kind of like choose what you know what you want to focus on, which is um, interesting. Like one player kind of focused more on exploration. and you know, there were France and England were kind of <laughs> going at it and uh, you know battling a little bit. I was just kind of in my own world figuring out things, just trying to complete milestones because uh, the rules are kind of uh, the rule book is like 47 pages. And I felt like even after reading the rules, you still are like, huh, How does this game going to play? What am I doing? Start
1: back over on page one.
0: Yeah, it's, it's very <laughs> opaque. I think it's like one of those games where you like read the rules, you play it, and you still have to constantly reference the rules for certain things. Yeah. Um, and then you play it again, and then it's like, oh, you know. But I had everybody uh, watch uh, Shay from RTFMs. He, he has an excellent instructional video. That is 50 minutes long and it doesn't even cover everything. Like there's some points where he's just like, yeah, uh, if you want to learn more about this, read this page.
2: <laughs> yeah, Because it's just like,
0: it, there's just a lot going on. And then every round there like, there are lots of different phases. You'll like reveal new event cards, draw action cards. And then the bulk of the game is you're taking actions. And when you're taking actions, like you have this menu of basic actions you can take that some are just kind of generic, but some of them fall into those like monarch power buckets I was talking about, like military, like if you want to recruit different military units or ships, you know, you would need to spend um, your military action cubes or power cubes. And likewise, you have these action cards, which are cool, because the actions will have some kind of action that you can play on your turn by spending, again, these monarch cubes that match the type of action it is. But they also at the bottom of them will have like a character that you can either appoint as a an advisor, which will kind of give you more monarch power income and maybe some other uh, special ability. But then you could also uh, recruit some of them are like generals that you'll add to your army and they let you roll more powerful dice and extra dice when you're doing combat. So um, I love that about the action cards, how they're kind of d- dual use. Then another thing that I really loved and I think everybody like really loved this too was the uh, the event card system. So at the beginning of every round, you uh, you take out five event cards. It's a number of players plus 1, but you only reveal three of them at once. So everybody sees those three events. You can't pass until you trigger an event. And sometimes, oh. yeah, so the events have usually like two effects that whoever is triggering it can choose sure and sometimes it might impact other players it might impact your faction and then also beneath the event um at the bottom of the card there's some kind of like global impact that will will kind of be triggered but like let's say i take an event i'm the first one to do it i do the event then we put two ducats on every other face-up event and then we reveal one more so now okay. they're so they're always three open and some will have money on them, which is like making them more tempting because, yeah, you know, gotta get those
1: incentives going. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. Um, but it was I think like the event card system was just really cool. And the events and some of like the decisions of, you know. The timing of when to do something, sometimes not wanting someone else to trigger something. So it's like, oh, I better beat that person to this so that they don't choose this particular option. That was really cool. But yeah, otherwise, like it was it was really cool. Like our brains, you know, you're talking like horseless carriage is kind of brain burnery. Like this (laughs) is um that times uh, 10
1: <laughs> times four, right? Yeah. Four X game. Yeah, so. <laughs> exactly. Oh, that's what the four X is.
0: <laughs> yeah. So it was it was definitely, you know, very even after everybody watched the video, you know, we I didn't really do a teach because everybody watched the video and we were just like, let's just get into it. We'll learn See as we happens. go by taking actions. And we definitely like our first round was super slow. And then we were like, OK, I'm getting the swing of it. And we were just all trying to, like, you know, use – in games like this, I just try to say, look, how do we earn victory points? Focus on that. Like, what am I going to do to achieve this milestone? Like, I'm going to just focus focus on that. And I think, like, (laughs) my one friend Brandon, like, who played it – it, it, it was funny. Like when he started watching the video, he messaged on Discord. He's like, "What have I gotten myself into?"
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, Is it too late to yeah. run away screaming? Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> it w- it was good company, so that that kind of helped everything um, too for us to kind of have a first learning experience. And you know, I I love like big, heavy games like this that are kind of epic. I wish that I. I wish that there was a more intro-y scenario or a, like a playbook with an example of play, so that I could have had a better grasp on it before they came over. Because I think it yeah. would have been a smoother experience all altogether. Like if I had already played, you know, if I had some more experience, so that I could kind of answer questions or help guide people. You know, nobody really knew what to do initially, and then you know, as we got going, we kind of figured it out. But the, the the important thing is like the next morning I was kind of like I'm ready to play age 2. Like I was yeah. kind of craving it, you know, you're like when you're in that situation you're like learning, your brain is just like I don't know exactly, you know, we're probably making some mistakes here and there, but then I'm pretty sure we all were thinking about it that night, that next morning, and personally like if it was set up and they were down to come back over, I would have played it again. So um, it's it's like this is a hard one that's going to be hard to get to the table, but I'm definitely curious to explore it more. Like I have a lot of friends who are totally down for like heavy games like this. And, you know, we'll make sure next time that we have more of a full day to kind of at least play both ages to yeah, see how I mean, this things is pan definitely out. Definitely
1: an event game, right? You're not bringing this to a pickup game night. Right. Oh, yeah. (laughs) You're you're scheduling this. (laughs) Exactly.
0: Exactly. And, you know, hopefully everybody does their homework because I think it would be if you were just doing a bare bones teach. I think it would take, you know, at least an hour to kind of like make sure Mm -hmm. people. Maybe not. That doesn't
1: surprise me. Maybe
0: not. Maybe you could get into it a little quicker, especially if somebody like knows the game really well. But anyway, uh, I assume you have not played it, and that is—I uh, had never even yeah. heard of
1: it before you started talking about it. That's why I was looking at Board Game Geek while you were talking. Yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah, it, it, it looks—it looks like a big four X game. It's a beast. <laughs>
0: so, like, if you're yeah. into—if you're into big like civilization games that you know where you're kind of like you'll take a day probably and play with your friends, this is definitely want to check out. Also, um, it. Plays with lower player counts, too. Like, there's a bot, and again, there's that solo mode where if you're someone who um, likes to play these games solo, like, this is, I don't know, another civilization-building game, I don't think that it has a solo mode like this. And it's my David yep. terzi so that's probably cool. So, yep. um, anyway, that is Europa Universalis, The Price of Power. I wanted to quick, before we get into trick-taking games, I wanted to give a quick, brief shout-out uh, to bullet heart and bullet star, have you played uh, either of those games?
1: No, I, I, I'm a little bit familiar with them. They're kind of a match three kind of video gamey vibe. Yeah, like a shoot'em right? up
0: puzzle kind of game yeah. where you're you're drawing you're simultaneously drawing these like bullets and you're dropping them in on your board, but you're also trying to like use action points to manipulate them into patterns and then send them over to the player on your left. And it's so anyway, I'm not going to talk much about it because Liz Davidson brought this up. uh, Liz Davidson from Beyond Solitaire on uh, episode 12. when We were talking about solo games. Um, She highly recommended it as a solo game for people who like puzzle games. And also my friend Jennifer Schlickburn, she had mentioned it from uh, my YouTube channel. Uh, She had mentioned it a while ago that she liked it and for whatever reason i finally picked it up and i'm just so hype about it i've been, I've only played it like twice so far because you could play it like really fast um mm-hmm. but it is a super fun puzzle game so i just wanted to uh mention that one too just very awesome. very briefly <laughs> so shall we talk about some trick taking games john
1: yes let's talk about cards yes So you've been mentioning trick-taking games a lot, um, mm-hmm. and most of the games we're going to be talking about are trick-taking games, um, but I am going to be talking about a couple climbing, shedding games. So at a really brief, high level, trick-taking games are card games, frequently with a standard deck of cards, um, where everybody plays one card in some sort of turn order, and then whoever played the exist, card. Uh, you know, a, a card like strongest, weakest, second <laughs> to strongest, whatever, uh, solo card, whatever. Uh, one card is going to be the person who takes the trick, and they usually take all the cards, and then they play another card. So it's like one card, and then, you know, if everybody has 12 cards, then you're all going to play your 12th card at the same time. Uh, whereas climbing-shedding games are also card games, frequently with a standard deck of cards, uh, but for these... Your hands will get asymmetric because you're playing uh, more like poker hands, uh, depending on the game, like, you know, a, a three of a kind or a run of five cards or a full house or something like that. And if I play three of a kind, then somebody else could pass or they could play a better three of a kind on top of mine. And generally, the goal of these games is to shed out. That's why they're frequently called climbing shedding games, because the climbing is where, you know, your three Uh, sixes beat my three twos will be climbed, you know, we climb up in strength, essentially. And then shedding is the goal. It's like, get rid of all your cards usually. Um, and then you get points for in some way for getting rid of your cards. So they're, they're, they're very different schools of thought in traditional, uh, card games. And, uh, and yeah, I want to get that out of the way before we dig into all of these. Yeah. And before
0: we dig into our list of, and again, these aren't our favorite. Trick taking games per se, but it's just games that we think are very interesting in some way. Yes,
1: yeah, <laughs> some peculiar part that we think is is worth shouting about from the top of a mountain.
0: Yep, yep. <laughs> um, and so, before we get to your the first game you want to talk about, um, I just wanted to do two quick honorable mentions of games that sound interesting to me, but I haven't played yet. Um, one is Inside Job, which is a new game that is either about to come out or might have just come out, uh, from, uh, designed by Tanner Simmons. And it's from Cosmos who, um, that's, uh, the company who published the crew, uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> which, which is, is an, an amazing cooperative taking game. game. Yeah. And, uh, inside job is an Almost cooperative trick-taking game because basically players are working together. Well, most players are working together to complete as many missions as possible, but one player is secretly trying to sabotage it because they're uh. an insider.
2: <laughs> so I'm very
0: curious to see um how this one plays out. When I went had a meeting during, uh, I think it was Pax Unplugged or something, I kind of got got a rundown of it. So I'm. Looking forward to trying that one. Um, and then also, we're shouting out Taylor a lot here. But yeah. uh, at BGG Con, I sat, I think at like three in the morning, it might have been at 4 a.m. at this point, um, a teach of a crazy trick taking game called Touchdown Heroes, uh, designed by Kuru and um, published by Manifest Destiny. And this is a. Four player trick taking game where you are playing football. So it's teams two versus two, and basically one team at a time is like on offense, the others on defense. And when you're on offense, uh, I think you're like leading the trick, and you could either say if you're going to do it as a pass play or run play. And I think one or the other means you must follow, and the you know the opposite one means you may follow. But like I think when you do the May follow like you c- the cards all have effects and the effects on the cards kind of trigger it seemed wild but then you also have this card in the middle of the table that looks like a little football field and then you have this little wooden football that's like moving up oh and down gosh. as you're playing <laughs> so tricks cool. you're like moving the football and and you're playing and I think the card art is all this like wild like anime art <laughs> But yeah, I ended up I ended up getting this, and I still haven't tried it. And I just I you know thinking about it today and thinking about interesting trick taking games, I'm like, why have I not tried that one yet? So that is touchdown heroes.
1: I haven't tried either of those. They both sound fun. <laughs> <laughs> as far as uh, honorable mentions are concerned, from my side of things, um, I just wanted to say that. I've recently been falling in love with Spades, which is this like super traditional, 100-year-ish old uh, trick-taking game, partnership. Uh, I'm not going to be talking about it in the list down below, but um, I've been really, really digging that. And also, uh, (laughs) I'm not going to be talking about Tichu. And people might be (laughs) expecting one of us to talk about Tichu, which is kind of the quintessential, one of the more popular anyway, uh, climbing, shedding games. It's arguably my favorite game of all games, Period. So I adore Amazing. it. I like it better than every game I'm going to be talking about on this list, but I think the games I'm talking about later on might be more interesting mechanically. So anyway, I cool. got the uh, the teach you elephant out of the room.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I need to also play more teach you because when I first was taught teach you, I was like fell in love with it. I bought the app on the iPad. I yeah. got, you know, and I just really haven't played it much since. But yeah. it's like. I've
1: played. Two plus hundred times. That's amazing. I I adore it. That's amazing. (laughs) Yeah, I I need
0: to get into that more. (laughs) 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 So, so what? What's the first game on your list?
1: Yeah. So, number five of like interesting card games uh, is also a climbing shedding game. Uh, It's called Hachi Train. Have you heard of this one?
0: The name sounds familiar, but I don't think so.
1: That's not too surprising. This is the most esoteric of the five game games I'm talking about, and I'm going to apologize right out the gate by saying. I love this game, and you cannot buy it. Uh, it oh,
2: no, Jonathan. It's, just,
1: it's not out there. You, you just... Oh. And uh, so this is a its a wonderful, relatively light game that has some Scout vibes. And oh. in a lot of ways, it's fired Scout for me. Um, I've played Hachi Train like 16 times in the last year. Uh, and yeah, I've just been really into it. So cool. much like Scout and like Delta or, you know, uh, Crass Cart, Um This is a game where you get Delta hand of cards and you cannot change the order of the cards. So um, the game is called Hachi Train, which is eight. So there are eight different cards in the deck. It's one through eight. And yeah, you're going to get this hand of cards. You have eight cards in your hand. And the goal is just to go out, uh, not last. And that's one thing I really like about it. And one of the reasons I want to talk about it here, because a lot of Climbing Shedding games are all about... Being out, uh, going out first, you know, scout go out first, teach you go out first and make bets on it. But in um, Hachi train, if you go out, that's fine, and you keep playing until one person hasn't gone out and they lose. So instead of mm, like winning gotcha. by being the first person to play all your cards, you just you just don't want. It's like hot potato. You don't want to be stuck <laughs> holding the potato, or you know, you know, uh, musical chairs. Uh, and when that happens, um, that person. They lose a hundred million dollars, so not a big deal. Uh, fortunately, you're given two hundred million dollars at the beginning of the game, so <laughs> <laughs> you just play until somebody loses all their money, which effectively means you play until one person has you know, been the last person twice, um, and and then that person loses and everybody else wins. It, it's a really huh. interesting thing. You play a five player game of it. Um, uh, it's it's a three to five player game. If you play a five player game. Four people are winning, and one person is losing. So you just don't want to be that person. Now, it has other really cool things going on, uh, and that is that um, you're playing out just sets. There's no runs or anything like that. It's very simple in that way, and you have to play cards that are adjacent in this mixed-up hand. But the key really interesting thing, the main reason I'm talking about it now, is because when I beat your uh, cards, let's say, Candace, you put, like, two twos out. Mm-hmm. Uh, I could play four ones, for example. It's, it's larger, so that means I win. But then I have to take your two twos and put them back into my hand. And that is the main, like, brain explode moment for this game. Every time you win, you take the cards that you beat and put it back into your hand. Remember, you need to get rid of cards. So it's Mm, very possible to downgrade your hand by playing. You know, (laughs) know, like, if you play two twos and I beat it with two fours, I take your two twos, and now I don't have the fours and I have twos. So if I didn't have other twos in my hand, my hand overall might have just gotten worse. But maybe I had three twos already. So now I have five twos. And now I can drop that down to... To, to continue cool, this cool on. and I just love that it's kind of like um, it's kind of like Scout but different because in Scout you either play cards or you pull cards into your hand constructing your hand in this one you play cards and then bring cards into your hand if you don't play a card you actually draw a card from the top of a deck or if the deck is gone you just don't draw anything so it's it's a really breezy game in a lot of ways. I I kind of consider it more of like a beer and pretzels experience over Scout. I, th- I think Scout is a little bit thinkier. Scout might be – well, I take it back. Scout is definitely a deeper game. Okay. Uh, it's okay. definitely a, a thinkier game overall. But I found myself coming back to Hachi Train over and over and over again because it's just so easy. It's like it's a lean back in your chair, throw cards around and laugh – kind of game. And I just really like it. I've cool. played it like I said like 16 times now.
0: What's what what is the makeup of the cards? Like how many suits and what are Yeah, the there's no
1: suits. It's just 1 through 8 uh and then you have a number of that uh times the player count. So that's actually another really interesting thing about the game is it does a lot with a really small deck. If it's a three player game, it's just 1 through 8 um, uh, three times. It's a 24 card deck. Um, then there's this side deck. There's eight cards. I am not need to go into all the yeah, details, yeah. but you could draw from, and there's always eight cards in that one. But, okay. um, but yeah, that means you have this tiny deck, but since you keep pulling cards into your hand, the, it, it's almost like there's a sixty card deck. You know, it, it, you gotcha. keep using cards. You know, you play those twos, and I beat them. They come into my hand, and then I play them. And somebody else beats them. Like huh. there are cards that will be in every single person's hand before the end of the round. And I think that's pretty fascinating.
0: Yeah, and uh, what I was getting at is, it sounds like something that I could make on my own.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes, um, so there isn't asterisk to that. Um, oh, okay. That deck of cards that you draw from on the side, it's got mm-hmm. these uh, slash cards. That When you draw them, they say 1 slash 2 or 3 slash 4, 5 slash 6, 7 slash 8. And when you take them, you decide, you put it in your hand and it could be one or the other. So that um, means you have some extra flexibility with these things. And certainly when you play these out, then people might want to win those back to then use those flexibly in their hand as well. But it makes it a little bit harder to proxy, I will admit. But um, this also leads me to something that uh, I wasn't sure if I was going to mention it, but
0: now, now do it. Do it. Uh,
1: <laughs> there's this game coming out called Nana Tori Dori. Uh, it's coming out in a, two or three weeks, same designer, and it's essentially Hachi Train 2 um hmm. it's my understanding it's going to be a lot more available um I, I i think it's just going to have a lot more distribution than hachi train did but it is different in some key ways and i think there's going to be people who are who are going to be militant on either side of the hachi train versus <laughs> non hatori uh, uh lines in particular the new one is one to seven not one to eight and also in the new one when you beat somebody else's cards, you don't have to bring their cards back into your hand. You, you can, but you don't have to. So I haven't played this yet, so I cannot endorse it in any way, but I will say it does not have those 1-2, slash 3-4 slash cards. So that one, certainly, you could proxy relatively easily. Okay. But I also think there's a chance it could be even more easygoing and perhaps fun. Then Hachi Train, I don't know. I, I do love Hachi Train. And I love the decision of bringing cards back into my hand that I hate. Um, so I'm not really sure where I'm going to land on it. But yeah. it is a sort of version that I think some people would argue is just a completely different game. Whereas other people will say, ah, it's, similar it's similar enough to call it the same. Yeah.
0: <laughs> hey, if it's going to be available and that's the only our only option to get something in that vein. It is a,
1: it is a, a key difference. It is a key difference. Yeah. So, yeah, that's been a really fun one. Honestly, I bought this one on a, uh, a whim. Uh, I was putting in a, an order through a Japanese freight forwarder for Trick and Trade, which is a game I'm not going to be talking about, even though I totally could. It's a super <laughs> cool, may-follow <laughs> taking game mentions. with stocks. And, and I saw there was this game called Hachi Train. I'm like, I like trains. And it was like an extra like 20 bucks. So I just threw it on my order without even knowing the rules because the rules weren't even published oh, yet. Oh, wow. And so I got really lucky that I happened to love that one.
0: Wait, what was the other one you just said?
1: Trick and Trade. Have you heard of this one? Trick
0: and Trade. No.
1: Okay. You know what? Tell me. Talk about six games.
0: Just tell me. Just tell me real quick. (laughs) Give me the lowdown. Uh, All
1: right. So, um, (laughs) my my game number 4.5 is uh, Trick and Trade. Uh, I haven't done my research, so I don't have the designer or the publisher in front of me, but this is a brilliant shared incentive stocks trick taking game.
2: Oh.
1: Uh, (laughs) I want it. So, the way this gun works, like I said, it's it's a may-follow game. So it's a trick-taking game where it, most trick-taking games, um, if somebody plays like uh, a heart, you have to play a heart as well if you have a heart in your hand. And if you don't have a heart in your hand, you could play anything. That's called must-follow because you must follow the card that was led. Most of the games we're going to be talking about today, in fact, maybe all of them are must-follow. I have very one may-follow. Oh, you do? Okay, good. So this is a Mayfollow where you could play any card. doesn't matter what anybody else did. But then there are these stock cards off to the side. And so the cards that you play have numbers on them. I think they range from one to nine, but then they have a second smaller number that's inversely proportional to the main number. So it'll be like a one, three, I think. And then like the two is like a two, two. And then the nine is like a a nine, one. And the 10, I think it was a 10 is 10, zero. Anyway, when you play this uh this game, what you do is the the person who plays the highest value of the card that was led is going to win that trick. but then we're all going to be drafting stocks in the shared incentive thing in the order in which the strength of the cards are played. and then the card that won goes into a market at the top and it's sorted depending on that second number. So the stronger the number is, the weaker it is in this majority's market. Mm. Um, and then at the end of the game, it's a one- hand game. You deal out like, 9 cards or 10 cards or 11 cards, you play that, that's it, and then you score, and you check the majorities for the cards that won. And then the, 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 suit with the most value in that secondary number is going to pay out the most, then second most, third most. And then the fourth one, the worst one actually is a negative payout, if I remember correctly. Nice. <laughs> and, and then, like I said, in the, in the, in uh, the order in which you t- uh, played these cards or the strength of your cards, you take these stock cards and every card has two stocks on them. They're either the same two stocks or two different stocks. So you're getting this. Shared portfolio, kind of forced because you're going to be forced to taking cards with multiple stocks on them. And oh, you just get plunged directly into the shared incentive wonderful quagmire of decisions. And, and the late game can be super tense as, you know, people are holding out on like those twos to try and win a trick and then lead like the two or the one when there's no more of that card out there so nothing can beat it. And then it drastically alters the stock market. Like <laughs> I've I've been oh. winning on the second to last trick and then come dead last in the last trick wow. because of the things that can manipulate around. But the whole game takes 20 to 30 minutes because it's one hand. And uh <laughs>
0: That's awesome. super cool. That sounds really cool. cool. That sounds right (laughs) up my
1: alley. (laughs) It was a good order. I bought that one in Hachi Train and a game called Nana, which I'm not talking about today because it's not a trick-taker or a climber. Control yourself, Jonathan. I have to control myself. (laughs) Have you played any card games? Do you have anything you want to say?
0: I will talk about a card game. So The the first one on my list is the game that we played together, Nakosu Dice. Uh, this is a 2016 release uh, uh, from Quoth Games. And there's also a 2019 version by Endgames. And it's designed by Yusuke Matsumoto. And it plays with three to four players. And this is a trick taking game with cards, as most trick taking games have. But you also have dice that are yeah. different colored dice. And at the beginning of the game, you are dealt a hand of cards. And then you will also draft dice. So you put a bunch of, like, I think there's purple, yellow, red, green, and black yeah. maybe or something like that. Yeah, like, five
1: suits, if I maybe remember correctly. Five,
0: yeah, five suits. Um, I don't remember exactly. But you put some dice, a certain amount of dice in the bag based on the player count. And uh, then you take a certain amount out. And you're going to draft them one at a time. And they just go in front of you. And they're basically, the dice are an extension of your hand. So if I have a purple card in my hand, but I might have purple dice that I could play as a purple card when somebody leads. Um, And this is must follow, right?
1: Yes, it is very importantly. Because yeah, those those dice are essentially public cards yes so yeah if you lead purple and the person to your left of you has a purple die you know they're you playing know, a purple. yeah it could be a purple from their hand but we're, but if they play that purple die then you're like oh maybe they don't have any purple in their hand or maybe they do you won't know <laughs> until, until later but it gives you a lot of control seeing you know like a quarter to a third of your opponent's hands i can't remember the exact numbers yeah but at the yeah. very beginning
0: it's it's quite interesting um and then at the very beginning of the game you're going to kind of decide if you think you are going to be able to win no tricks or not win any tricks, um, you kind of declare that publicly at the beginning and you have this kind of card that you'll flip to one side to indicate that and you'll actually get rid of, I think, one of your dice at that point. Yeah. Yes. One of your dice at that point goes away. You get to choose. Uh, because at the end of the game, so or at the end of the round, Um, after you play a hand of where you you play all your cards from your hand and all your dice in front of you, and you can play them in any order that you want, except, yes, it's a must-follow game, so sometimes you will be forced to play your dice um, if somebody plays a color and you don't have that color in your hand. But whichever die is last to be played from you ends up being your bid of how many tricks you think you're going to win. Uh, yeah, for the round, which is kind of crazy because you have to kind of like be careful that you're you're not forced to play something that you know if you like, and you also think about this as you're drafting your dice. You mm-hmm. know, like if I think I'm going to be able to win five tricks, then I definitely want to make sure I have some five d- dice in my die, you know, my die pool here because. That way I can hopefully spend all of my dice or use all of my dice and save one five, make my bid five and not, you know, happen to win five tricks and yeah, all the stars all align. Points. And I get I get bonus points if I do that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So technically you don't play that last die. You keep you keep playing dice. Yeah. until You have one left and then it it, it ev- evaporates. It is, it is no longer a die. It is now your bid. And. And that is also public. So there's definitely (laughs) situations in this super... I've played this a couple times, once with you, and I actually played it just a couple of weeks ago with a copy that I bought after we played. Mm -hmm. And uh, you have situations where if you have two dice in front of you, like a yellow and a red, and the opponent to the right of you is leading, they could look over and see that you're about to make your red bid, but that yellow bid is way off and they could lead a red card knowing that they, you might be forced to play your red die to follow locking in the yellow right. die as your bid. And you might be already blowing past that or maybe it's just like way past anything you could get. So it has this precious element where you have to be really precious with the dice that are in front of you. <laughs> yeah. and, and, and you have to just make sure to play them at the right pace, like if you just play cards and you find yourself with no cards and just dice, then people can see right through
2: you. Yeah. But if you
1: play your dice too quickly, then you're going to lock in on a bid early before you potentially know how you could actually win the bid. So you have to try and thread that needle. And yeah, the way the scoring works, is just one point per trick. But then you get a pile of points if you exactly hit your bid, although you get more points the less people who hit their bids. Right. But it is all about hitting your bid.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and exactly managing your hand and your dice, like yeah, and it's it, it's super interesting the way it plays out. And after we played it for the first time at BGG Con, I was like, "How do I get this game?" <laughs> so I ended up. Uh, I don't remember if Taylor or or someone suggested, but I ended up buying an extra deck of uh, Stick'Em and I made ah. my own version and I used, I bought some dice, like those mm-hmm. kind of like Sagrada dice. Pretty easy
1: to proxy, yeah. yeah
0: and I, I made my own copy. But then at uh, the Cloud Cap games, I was able to get an Portland, imported copy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so now I have a legit copy of the game too. <laughs> uh, and I think I passed on my little proxy version to a friend um, but, yeah, this is a this is a cool one uh, to check out. Definitely, like, makes you kind of think a little differently.
1: Yeah, there's one other thing that I really want to highlight about Nikosu Dice, which is super cool. And that is that um, when you're drafting dice at the beginning, first of all, you have to roll two dice randomly. You draw two random dice, roll them. Forgot about all, like, that, random yes. cards, And then you're drafting dice until there's one die left in the market. <gasps> yes. And, and that gets did... put off to the side. Yeah. And this is so cool because this defines Trump. But not only does it define Trump, it defines super Trump and what I call super duper Trump. And this is one <laughs> of the hardest parts of the game yes. to really wrap your head around. So the idea of Trump uh, suits in, in trick-taking games, it's, it's, a, it's a classic idea. But if you're not familiar with it, um, in games with Trump, usually – The highest card of the lead suit is going to win the trick. But if any of the cards are the trump suit, then the highest trump suit is going to win. So it kind of lets you jump out of that that whole system. And in the kosu dice, let's say a red three was the last die that wasn't picked. You put it off to the side. And what that means is all red cards and dice are trump. So that means they're stronger than everything else. Yeah. But then on top of that, that means all threes are super trump which means every three it doesn't matter what color it is is better than any red and remember any red is better than anything else that's not red or not a three and then finally all red threes are super duper trumps because the red three beats any other three
0: everything
1: yeah it's just it's a bit of a brain explosion because all of these are technically trump which is technically its own suit which means a yellow three in your hand is not a yellow anymore it is a trump three right and it, it's a really weird thing and it can definitely catch people off guard um with like leading and following and being like oh shoot that's a, that's actually a trump in this kind of situation but it's also completely brilliant and yeah. it makes and it makes the draft so interesting because you could be drafting and the dice are getting smaller and smaller and you look over and somebody's got like three fives and and there's like two or more fives out there and you're like i gotta draft a five to make sure that five isn't Trump because they're yeah. gonna have so many Trumps. Yeah, yeah. Well, the same with the colors and ah oh, man, super cool overall. Just it, this game is. Just yeah, I'm
0: glad you mentioned that. I can't believe I awesome forgot decisions. that little that little detail. <laughs> but yeah, yeah that is super cool, and it, it is definitely a little bit confusing initially to like wrap your head around. Wait, so this color is stronger than everything, but then this number is stronger than that. But then this yeah. number and this color is like super uh-huh. duper Trump.
1: <laughs> yeah, but then of course you can have doubles. You know, like if I have a red three in my hand and the red three dies out there, somebody else could have a red three die in front of them. And now there's multiple of the best card in the game. In which case, the last one played, if there's a tie, wins. So you still have situations where you can't be positive that you're going to win, even if you have potentially the strongest thing in the hand. It's just a really smart game.
0: Yep, I agree. Um, And that is Nikosu Dice. What else you got, John?
1: So uh, the first game I talked about is almost impossible to buy. As I, I said, the second game I talked about trick and trade is close to impossible to get. The third game I'm talking about, you already have in your house. If you have a standard deck of cards. Yes. So uh, <laughs> this is a game it's called 99 and I love it. Um, it's a standard uh, deck game. You just need, you know, the t- typical deck, you know, four suits, um, two through ACE. Um, now, This is technically a two- to four-player game designed by David Parlett in 1974 and published in the Games and Puzzles magazine because, you know, again, it's a standard deck game. I say technically two- to four, though, because realistically, this is a three-player game. It has two-player and four-player variants, but it's my understanding – I haven't tried them, but it's my understanding you just shouldn't do that. You should play something else at two or four. (laughs) Gotcha. But if you have three players and you're looking to play trick-taking games, I could not recommend this game higher because it has some really wacky ideas. All right, so – You deal out this deck of cards. It's a short deck. It's uh, Actually, I think it's uh, six through ace, if I'm remembering correctly. And you deal out these hands of cards to the three players. Everybody's going to have 12 cards in their hand at this point. Now, everybody simultaneously chooses three of those cards to make their bid. And the bid is going to be the number of tricks that you win at the end of the the overall hand. So you're going to have nine cards. There's going to be nine tricks after you pull these three out. And the way those cards dictate it is based off of the suit. Diamonds, which kind of look like a zero if you think about it, are worth zero bid. Then spades, they go up to a little point, a little pointy one at the top. They're worth one. Hearts (laughs) have two little roundy bits on the top. They're two. And then clubs are worth three with the three little roundy bits on top. Ah, So what that means is if you put three clubs off to the side, that's a nine bid. If you put three diamonds off to the side, it's a zero bid. If you do diamond, uh, spade, heart, it's a three bid. And you're all making this decision at the same time. So what it means is you have control over your hand. You can short suit yourself. You could do all sorts of crazy things because the cards you remove are going to dictate the texture of your ah.
2: hand. But
1: then the game gets really cool. That's cool. <laughs> That's all cool. But I the, thought the that was pretty really cool. <laughs> because those cards, you, you put them off face down in front of you. And then you could play a standard trick-taking game. You know, you play a card down and it's must follow. You have to follow the lead in. Um, the uh, trump is defined I don't need to go into the details of that, but one of the suits are going to be Trump, and you know that before you make your bid. Um, And all that's well and good. And then you score at the very end, but you flip over at that point your bids, and so you don't know what everybody else's bid is, usually. And Mm. (laughs) so, so you're playing this, and you're like trying to suss things out, and you're trying to hit your bid, but when you start playing this, before you play the first card, people have the ability to bet, and that's why I call this one, Uh, teach you the trick-taking game in a lot of ways because i love (laughs) teach you which is a climbing shedding game not a trick taker in my opinion very different in feel but the main reason i love teach you is because it's a game where you can call teach you and that is a 100 point bet in a game where you go to a thousand that you will play all your cards first well in 99 you have something similar there are two different types of bets you can make the first type of bet is a bid reveal and you just say i'm going to do a bid reveal and then um Only one person can do this per hand. I don't need to go into the specifics. And if you do that, you reveal your bid. So the other two people have hidden Ah. bids and you have a revealed bid. And if you make your bid, you get 30 extra points. And this game actually scores exactly like Nikosu Dice, funnily enough. One point per trick. And then the oh, more wow. people who hit their bids, the, the less points they get. Um, gotcha. But, so if you hit your bid, the, the best thing you could do hitting your bid is 30 points if you're the only person who did it. But if you reveal your bid and then hit it, you get 30 more points. It essentially doubles the number of points you can get. But what if you don't cool. hit your bid? You're Uh-oh. too high or too low. Both of your opponents get 30 points. Both of them
0: wow so it's a risk Neat. and it really
1: goes Neat. into a li- uh, in, in line with that two thing but i said there's two different kinds of bids right uh-huh. so let's say it's you me and then uh let, let's say eric martin from
2: this yeah i can um, see that uh, yeah
1: so it's you know you say you don't want to bid anything i say i'm willing to to reveal my my bid it goes to eric he could say i'm going to reveal my bid and my hand.
2: <gasps> and if they do this,
1: what? <laughs> it essentially uh, takes uh, uh, precedence. So now I don't get to reveal my hand anymore. It's all Eric. Right. He reveals his bid. So we all know what he needs to hit. And he reveals his entire hand and plays open. Whoa. And if he hits his bid, 60 extra points. Six zero. zero Wow. But if he doesn't, then both other people get, get 60, 60 extra points.
0: Oh my goodness, this is this spicy. This game <laughs>
1: is completely brilliant and that's why. It's it's spicy, exactly. And it's spicy because of these bets um, that you're wow, making. Cool. It, it really gets into that like gambling mindset without money, which I really, yeah. I really like. You know, you got your ego on the line in a lot of ways <laughs> and you can have situations where you're like, oh, I think I just totally know how this hand's going to go so you try to go for it or you might be behind and you're like, I guess I'm revealing my hand because wow, I'm really far behind. And there, there's a lot of different ways to score this. Again, this game is... I didn't actually mention it, but um, it came out a long time ago. I might have said 1974, so many decades ago. And my favorite way to play this is you essentially do a bunch of short games to 100 points. So as soon as somebody hits over 100 points, they get a point they win quote unquote a game and you play until one person has won two games or one person has won three games and then you reset so you can take these really big swings if somebody's close to 100 you're like okay well i'm revealing my hand i'm going to try to make it happen and it is just so cool so you have this awesome puzzle of trying to figure out how to bid based off of the cards you're removing from your hand and on top of that you have this awesome bidding thing and you have pseudo partnership play because the two people who didn't bid, they kind of want to work together to break that other person because they both get the points unless one of them is about to wow. cross 100, in which case maybe that person doesn't <laughs> want that to actually happen. It just It's so complex for a game that's just six through ace in four suits. It's wow. so wow. completely cool. So this game I played mostly on Board Game Arena. It, oh. it's It's available on Board Game Arena right now. I highly recommend it. That's actually how I was taught the game. But I've now played it in person with just a deck of cards many times i think 3 or 4 times and every person i've taught this to has loved it, it it's just it's cool. such an impressive design i am over the moon about it and uh it's one more reason for me to bring my t2 deck around because a t2 deck is a standard deck of cards plus four special wilds so that means i've got t2 <laughs> and i have 99
0: that's <laughs> awesome that's awesome like, wow yeah
1: I I, I could not recommend this one more. It is super worth checking out. Yeah,
0: I have not checked it out. And that's also good to know that it's on Board Game Arena. That's that's a bonus. Oh,
1: I got to end with one tiny anecdote. Why is this game called 99? I don't know. I'm sure you're asking.
0: Yes, I am. Because that's
1: the maximum score. If you bid three clubs, that's nine tricks. And if you win, you get one point per trick. And then you reveal your hand and you hit your bid and nobody else does it's 60 plus 30 plus 9 99 it's the maximum (laughs) score the highest score i've seen is 95 and it was berserk it was insane seeing that happen and uh, you know exciting even if it's not you in much the same way some crazy teach who calls can be but anyway i love it uh yeah
0: i'm gonna try this one (laughs) yeah and it's awesome that you can just play with a standard deck of cards Yeah. My next game, you cannot play with a standard deck of cards. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The game I'm going to be talking about is Shamans. And this is a trick-taking game that mixes social deduction with trick-taking. It's designed by uh, Cedric Chabuset, and it's published by Studio H. And it plays with three to five players. So basically, uh, you're playing over a number of rounds until at least one person has eight points, and then whoever has the most points wins. Um, So this game, basically, when you get your hand of cards at the beginning of the round, you're also going to be dealt a roll card, and you're either Mm going to be good, a shaman, or bad, a shadow. And, you know, it just depends on the player count of how many shadows versus shaman players there are, but there's a small board that comes with this game. Um, and in, on the board, you'll have this shadow pawn, kind of almost in the middle, but the shadow player wants to kind of move it, push it in one direction towards the end of the track where there's a moon, and uh, the shaman players are trying to avoid that. Um, basically, the shamans are going to win around if they manage to eliminate all of the baddies. All of the shadow okay. players have to be eliminated. Um, What's the
1: ratio? Like half and half or like one third? I want to say like
0: in a five player game, it's two and two baddies and three shamans. Yeah. So under half. And I want to say in a four player game, it's probably one versus three. Yeah. So which is interesting because of the way the scoring works out too. Because if the shadows win a round, each player who wasn't eliminated, that's a shadow player. Will get three points. But if the shamans win around, each player who wasn't eliminated only gets two points. So mm. it's, you know, because there are less uh, shadows, they get more points if they win. So the good side, um, the shamans can also win if the shadow pawn hasn't reached the moon, like the end of the track after all the cards are played. So, um, or they, again, they eliminate the the shadow players. Basically, you you score points each round if you're on the winning team, but there are also ways to get points throughout the game. Um, and again, like one one of the things I find interesting about this game is usually in like social deduction games, it's like, if you're on the good team, if the good team wins, we all win. If you're on the bad team, the bad team wins, we all win. But mm-hmm. in this game, you, you could potentially be switching sides because you get a new roll card every round. And it's really like only one person's gonna win. And you want to have the most points. Yeah. So there's a whole thing that's going to kind of play.
1: Semi-cooperative from one hand to the next.
0: Right. Right. Exactly. And this is the may follow game that I was talking about. So when you play your tricks, you don't have to follow suit. And there are reasons why you don't, you won't want to periodically. You play with at least five suits with a three player game and cards numbered one to six. But if you play in four or five players, you might add another suit or two and some more cards. Um, So it just kind of varies based on player count. But um, the way the tricks resolve is that whoever plays the lowest of the lead suit, and remember, you don't have to follow, they are going to get a token. Um, And there are all these special tokens that have special effects. I won't get into that right now, but you, if you play the lowest, you get a token. Um, And there are two face-up tokens that you can choose from, or you can just draw a rando from the top of the the deck or the stack. Mm -hmm. Then whoever wins the trick, because they have played the highest card of the lead suit, um, that's how you're going to win the trick, highest card of the lead suit. Uh, You're going to take all the remaining cards and you're going to add them to the appropriate kind of slot around the board. So around this little game board, there's a slot for every suit and you're just kind of kind of like every time you add cards to it you're going to splay them so you can see which cards have been added to it sure, um, because yeah. something happens when all of the cards of a suit are added to it um there are there's an action on each of these different areas for the different suits that'll trigger for whoever is the person to add the last card there and like you know so there's a whole thing with the timing of that and like winning the trick yada 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 but um Here's the, here's the kicker, when you play a card off-suit, number one, you're gonna be pushing that shadow pawn towards the moon one step. Mm. So, whether you're good or bad, um, and you, like if you're bad, you don't want people to know you're bad, so right. if, if you are playing off-suit, you know, players are, people are gonna wonder, like, are you, are you bad? Did you really not have anything else in this suit and had to play off-suit? Or if you're good, you're trying to like justify like, hey, I'm doing this because I want to get, you know, I want to help with X, Y, Z. You know, there there are right. reasons. Well, you
1: said it's may follow as well, right? Exactly. So it's like, well, I had to do that. Well, no, you didn't. You could have played something else. Right, right. Well, but the other options were worse. <laughs> Ex- you got to trust me. Exactly, exactly.
0: <laughs> so there's all that kind of like fun stuff happening. But like I said, like whenever you add, uh, there's a whole timing thing of when you close out a suit. You know, meaning every card for that suit has been played and added to the um, the kind of splay for that. Whoever does that is going to get to take like a special action. And there's like one of the actions is just you gain a victory point. So you get a victory point token. Um, another one is you would get a special token and you could like move the pawn two steps away from the moon. So that actually helps. So maybe sometime you want to play off suit because you want to get a token and push it back, you know. Mm -hmm. Like, because also, I I don't think I mentioned this, but when you play off suit, it pushes the pawn forward, but then you add that card to the, like, the display around the board. So that's another way it could kind of close out a suit if you're the last card to be played then. But yeah, some of the tokens kind of give you points, can move the pawn, and, uh, wow, I said that funny, (laughs) pawn, can move the pawn. (laughs) Um, And there are also tokens that have daggers on them. So... Uh, when you have a dagger, that token will be face up. actually, I think if you take a if, if you take a token from the um, the top of the stack, you don't have to have it face up, but if you take one that's already revealed, you take it face up. Um, so you you may or may not know that some players have daggers. And if there are multiple spaces around the game board that when you close out a suit, if you have a dagger and it has a dagger icon, that means you can eliminate a player. And oh. here we go. Now it's social deduction, right? Uh right. John Jonathan, I think uh I I don't know. I don't trust you. I think I'm gonna eliminate
1: you. <laughs> you keep pushing up that shadow. <laughs> yeah. I don't know.
0: But like maybe like, you trust were... me,
1: you can't see the cards in my hand. I don't know. I can't do it. But maybe it, it could have been worse.
0: <laughs> but but maybe you were good, you know, like yeah. so you're kind of having those discussions of like. People are defending themselves and like, you know, don't eliminate me. I think we should eliminate this person, whatever. Uh, But, you know, you closing out that column, if you have the dagger, you're able to do that. So sometimes you want to close it off to specifically do that.
1: That's going to stop you from getting killed right yes yes pick yourself
0: exactly
1: so it's not a vote then it's just the person who closes it out makes that right
0: right i mean i haven't played it for a while but i'm pretty sure yeah the person who gets has the dagger and closes it out makes the final call on Mm -hmm. who gets uh who gets eliminated there's also a special token that you can get that lets you swap roles so imagine this like maybe i have uh five points right now right and i'm actually on the good side so i'm a shaman. But it's looking like the bad side, the shadows could win. And if I'm able to switch to the bad team, because I'm swapping roles with someone, so I I don't necessarily know, you know, who I'm swapping with. Um, although I think there is some effect that makes somebody reveal their token. Anyway, but if I can get on to the, bad, the shadow side and swap, and then the shadows win, and I get three points, and that pushes me to the eight to kind of like, end the game and maybe everybody was below so even if there was another shadow player who got the three points they're nowhere near eight so it was no big deal but that helped push me over there's all this like really fun stuff that you're playing with uh here and i just like i think it's an awesome game and you like you really if you like social deduction games and if you like trick taking games this is just like a no-brainer like you really feel that like social deduction aspect especially when players are playing offsuit you're like you don't know who to trust, you know, um, but yeah, it's 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 really awesome. Have you played shamans?
1: I haven't. Um, I have heard uh, good things about it from the trick-taking circles that I like to uh, frequent, but I hate social deduction.
0: <laughs> okay, uh, <laughs> fair enough. I don't.
1: I don't think it's bad. I just I personally. I just wither up, I I curl up into a little ball. I'm really not a fan of it as as a, as a genre. So it's not something that I've, uh, I've sought out, but, um, from a more neutral position, That sounds really like a fascinating way to do social deduction, like having this trick taking because you can't see people's hands, but they're making these decisions and it's may follow. So they have control, but they still have to find a way to get through their hand of cards. Um, uh, It sounds like a really cool way to do it. If I I could tolerate social deduction at all, (laughs) I think I would be into it. And honestly, I would probably try it. The fact that you... um, Deal them out differently, like every single hand. It changes so quickly. Um, I, I think I would give it a go if somebody yeah, yeah. tried to make it happen, but it, not not the kind of thing yeah, that I would go my to make happen. Yeah. yeah,
0: And again, like the the other thing that I think is cool about this type of social deduction is that, like you know, you are on a team in a round, yeah. but like you're still looking out for yourself. So yeah. you always are questioning if somebody's kind of being selfish versus like helping the team and what people's motives are. Uh, so I yeah. yeah so I I think it's pretty cool uh it surprised me quite a bit even though I was like excited by that um that hybrid of social deduction with trick taking um mm-hmm. and it like def it was yeah I really really like this game so that is shamans
1: yeah so, the next game I'm going to be talking about is called Schadenfreude. Uh, it came out yes. in 2020. You've played this one? Yes, I
0: love okay, good. it. I love it. Good, good, good. Go good. ahead, go ahead.
1: So, uh, the designer is uh, CTR, uh, published by Studio Turbine, and it's a three to five player game. And I'm going to go really out of order and say this game is so good at three, and it's so good at four, and it is so good at five. I've I played <laughs> it at all the player counts and have really enjoyed it, which is unusual. So, this game, the reason I'm talking about it is because it turns some standard trick-taking things on their head. It's a must-follow trick-taker. There's five suits in the deck. But right from the very beginning, it's strange because after everybody played one card, the person who played the second highest card of the lead suit is going to win it. So that is really weird right right, right (laughs) off the bat. Like normally it's the the strongest card, right? Also, so this is a trick-taking game where there is no trump. And also there's no bidding. And... Those are very standard in a lot of trick-taking style games, and the reason for that is because Trump gives you agency with, like, maybe a bad hand, and bidding adds tension, like, oh, am I going to hit my bid or not? But Schadenfreude does a really cool thing where it doesn't have either of those mechanics, but it still has awesome tension, and it still has a bunch of agency with how you're going to play your hand. So, like I said, the second highest card from the lead suit is going to win the trick, but then they're going to take the card that won, that they won with, and they're going to put it in front of themselves into a little potential scoring tableau. And then every offsuit card that was played into that trick, they also put into the little tableau. (laughs) But if you ever take two identical cards, they cancel each other out. So if you have a six already in your scoring tableau and you take another six, it cancels out. You lose those six points. And you're like, oh, that's bad. I don't want to lose points. Well, maybe you do. And that's another reason why (laughs) this game is brilliant because it is a trick Taking and trick avoidance game at the same time, like some games are all about just get more tricks, get more tricks. And some games are all about I don't want any tricks, but this one is both of those because the game is going to end after any round where somebody has more than 40 points and everybody who has more than 40 points loses. And then the next person who doesn't have 40 points, the next highest is going to win. So this is a game where you need points, but you don't want too many points and it is fascinating because the way it plays out that first round, nobody has any points. So everybody's like kind of tiptoeing around trying to get some points, but you don't want to get too many points <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because you want to be in the running, but you don't want to be um, you don't want to look like a, a sitting duck or, or like a scapegoat almost in this game. Because I've played this before where after the first round, somebody has like 25 points like they just get blown up and then suddenly going into the second round. The person who has the second most points, their entire game is just pile as many points onto the 25-point person as possible, maybe get them to bust in that second round, and then the game's over in two rounds, and then that other person's going to win. So it, it's definitely this interesting thing where once somebody... Looks like they're going to be the person who goes over forty. It target almost becomes a, it's a target. <laughs> it becomes kind of a self fulfilling prophecy. So suddenly that person, I like to joke, it's like Neo in the Matrix. They're just like trying to dodge <laughs> bullets like crazy, but everybody else is slinging bullets at them. Yeah. While the p- other people who don't have as many points, they're still trying to get some points for themselves because they also want to be in the running. So you have this awesome tension going back and forth, and you can also play things out interestingly with your hand. Try to win specific tricks to cancel yourself out. Like if you're getting too many points and you have like a seven, and you have a seven in your hand then maybe try to play your seven try to wait and find the right moment to play your seven to win a trick to be the second highest to then cancel out your own seven and bring yourself back down to a good level this deck is also weird it's minus three to nine so you could take minus cards which again will lower your overall score but um these are why i think Schadenfreude is just so fascinating It, it just creates Wacky incentives all over the place where you're like, I need points. I don't want points. Yeah, Wait, I need more yeah. points. Wait, give them points. Wait, I need points. Ah, too many points. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then the game ends. And, yeah. and you know, it's usually about 30 minutes. In my experience, it takes two to four hands. And each hand is, you know, eight to ten minutes, like not terribly long. And oh, it's just so cool. Like I said, there's five suits, so you're gonna get off-suited relatively quickly. So it doesn't have trumping, but once you get off suit, you can play anything and you're not gonna win. And then you're going to be saddling somebody else with those points. Do you
0: you get rid of a card in this one after you get your hand dealt to you?
1: No, no. No. You you have your hand of cards, and those those are the cards you have.
0: And then you have the zero and the ten.
1: Yes. There are two special cards, the zero and the ten, and they're kind of wild. Uh, They they, they match the color of the lead suit. And the ten is really fun because normally – your nine is safe, right? Yeah. It's the second highest card that's going to win the trick. So you play a nine, you're feeling smug, you're fine, and then somebody plays the ten. I play the and...
0: ten. I play the ten. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Suddenly you're taking that nine.
0: And, and... then you're over 40. <laughs> and then maybe
1: you're over 40. Um, the stories this game tells are just wonderful. Uh, the second time I played this one, it was four players. And uh, my wife, Jessica, had like 28 points after the first hand. And it was just like, oh, man, she's screwed. And then the second hand, she got no points. Yeah. And and then suddenly, like other people in the 20s, we went into the third hand where all four players were in the 30s. So she was able to dodge like crazy for two full hands. And she came this close, like a hair's breadth away from actually winning the game. Oh. Uh, she essentially lost like two cards away from the end. And it was really awesome to see because, you know, it looked like she was just dead after the first hand but you can fight your way back and that hand was actually really funny because one of the people just blew right past 40 in that last hand they were at like 60 points (laughs) and suddenly they're like okay i'm winning i'm losing so then they're like i'm losing Therefore, everybody else should lose because if everybody's over 40 points, then everybody loses. loses. So then he's trying to saddle everybody with points. Yeah. I actually won that game, being the only person with points. All three other people went over 40 and I had like 38 amazing. points. And it was just amazing. And yeah. everybody had fun. I mean, it was great for me to win and all, but it was like everybody else yeah, had, yeah. had a lot of fun in that moment. And yeah, this one is just it's great to teach it because you could just see people being like, I know trick takers. And then they're yeah. like, wait, what? What? Wait, yeah. wait, what? Uh-huh. wait, wait, what? wait, wait, And then you start playing and they're like, what is going on? Yeah.
0: The, uh, <laughs> it just, it's
1: just, it's always worked.
0: Yeah. The, the very first time I played it, you know, I was teaching it and, you know, still wrapping my head around it. And it was all new players. We play a five player game and mm-hmm. we're like doing stuff. And then that moment, somebody like wiped away somebody's points it was like, oh, oh. like I, I see what we can do with this game. Yeah. And I, I totally, I love doing that where like two players are high and I'm like, I'm going to try to get them to both push over 40 at once. Right. You don't and want then one I can them win. go over because yeah. the other
1: one will win. You got to Ex- push them both exactly. over. Exactly.
0: Yeah. It's so interesting. I'm really glad you put this on. I almost. Thought about putting this on. I don't know why I didn't. I don't know why
1: I didn't. <laughs> it's a super cool game. It's relatively available, is my understanding. There's a couple editions, I will say. The first edition, strangely, has pointy edges on the cards.
0: I know. That's the one <laughs> I not have then. Yeah. yeah and, I sleeved them. So
1: I bought the second edition, which has rounded edges, thankfully. And I actually oh. got it uh, uh, through that mutual friend, Jonah. He, oh, he bought nice. it for me it's from Cloud Jonah. Cap Games and then shipped it over to me. So, oh, uh, that's,
0: it, that is awesome. Everybody I didn't, knows everybody. I didn't know there was a round edge <laughs> version of the yeah. um, Schadenfreude cards. <laughs> yeah. Cool. You know, you were talking about Trick and Trade and Dual Gauge. And I was like, yeah, yeah, these sound so exciting. Trains. So, yeah. So, I am going to be talking about Trick of the Rails. This is a game that was originally released in 2011 by Akazu Brand. And I have the 2016 edition from Terra Nova Games. And it's designed by Hisashi Hayashi, who's the designer of Yokohama, And that uh, deck building game called Trains, uh, which I I own. Yeah, I own and I still haven't played. I really want to play Trains, but I love Yokohama. And actually, I didn't realize that it was the same designer until today or yeah, today when I looked it up. But um, this is an 18xx style trick taking game where you're (laughs) basically kind of alternating between collecting stocks to boost your portfolio for these different companies, which are the suits of the cards, or you're laying railroad tracks because the, the cards are kind of uh, sort of like multi-use cards. Um, so there are five companies and or five suits, you could think of it, but there are companies in the game, and they mm-hmm. are numbered one through ten. Basically, the card could either be in your tableau in front of you as a stock or a share, um, or it'll be played into kind of a common, uh, there's a track laying area of the board, so at the start of the game, you'll place for every suit in kind of a um vertical uh column, you'll place one of each station card. So you have like red, green, yellow station. They all have names, uh like B and O and all that stuff. Uh, yeah.
1: <laughs> that start, sets 18xx game. It, exactly. The gamer's heart's a flutter. <laughs> <laughs> so you'll see. Huh? Yeah,
0: so you'll have you'll have that the starting stations um going down the table and then you'll also have an area where you'll put you'll set up all of these cards called the trick lane and they're kind of like directing you like every time someone wins a trick like what happens so there's a trick lane and then there's this area where you'll you'll start building out tracks for the different companies and after you deal out the cards i don't know how many but you deal out a certain amount based on player count Any of the leftover cards are going to go and be added to um, the track laying area and build out these stations. So you kind of add them to the right of the station. And as you're adding cards to when you're laying track, you're basically increasing the value or attempting to increase the value of that particular train company. Uh, This is a must-follow trick-taking game. uh, And the highest card of the lead suit wins. But, like, again, like when you win a trick, it kind of uh, the trick lane card is going to tell you what happens. Um, And this is another game that's also one hand. Like, the entire game, you're just playing one hand of cards and then you score up and you see what happens. So, if the card in the trick lane is an exchange card or a railway card, whoever the winner is, uh, they're going to take that as a company share in their portfolio. So maybe it's a red card. I now have a stock in the red company, Um, and then their card is going to so so. Also in this trick lane, you have these kind of like reserve cards, and they're all spaced out in a certain way that's really cleverly uh, listed on the box of the game too, which is really helpful for you to kind of like quickly. Yeah, yeah. So you can set up the game quickly. But you're going to put the card you played in replacing the leftmost reserve card. And then you take the one that was there as a share. And then all the other players are going to add the card that they played um, as a, they're going to keep it as a company share, their own company share. Then like if you win the trick and it's a city card, you're going to, the winner is going to add the city to either end of the company's railway. And where it goes kind of matters in endgame scoring, um, which I'll explain in a second. But then the other players would add their cards to the company, the corresponding company's railways. So if John played a yellow and didn't win in this case, he would place his yellow card and extend the uh, the track on either end of the yellow company. Um, and then if, the, if it's a locomotive card, the winner is going to get to pick one of the companies and place the locomotive card to the far left end, uh, the left end of the railway um, on one that doesn't already have one. So each company can only have one locomotive card. Um, so you're going to keep doing this and play through all these tricks, play out your hand of cards. And at the end, you'll have you know some shares of uh, certain companies in front of you. Other players will. And then you're going to calculate the value of each company and, you know, figure out your score that way. So the way it works is uh, the railway cards all have a value on them, either 10, 20, 30, or 40. I think the higher number cards will have like 40, then, you know, the lower number cards will have 10. So I mentioned these locomotive cards. So this is kind of these locomotive cards have a number that's indicating the distance that you're going to calculate, and when you're calculating distance, you're looking at the best consecutive path of cards. So yeah. if if it's if my locomotive card has three, and I'm looking, and it's on the the yellow rail company, I'm going to find whatever card three cards are touching that would you know have the uh, highest value, and that will be the score, sort of, because the locomotive cards also. Have a modifier. So maybe I'm on this going back to the same example. I have three cards and maybe they total up to 80, but my locomotive modifier is minus 50. So that means my yellow stocks are all going to be worth 30. Did Mm -hmm. I do that? Yeah, 80 minus 50 are all going to be worth (laughs) 30. And so you're going to do this for each. And like one of the locomotives is like has an infinity side where you like sign where you
2: it's diesel. Yeah,
0: exactly, it's diesel. <laughs> exactly, exactly, where you're going to score up uh you're going to add up all of them, but they're all kind of modified. So you're you're then going to say, "Okay, yellow is scoring at 30 a pop. How many yellows do you have? This is your score for yellow." And and then, "Oh, reds are scoring at negative 20. Oops. Uh so <laughs> hopefully you don't have a lot of reds cuz then, yeah. you know, they're going to all be multiplied by negative 20. And you'll, ta- you'll tally your score based on your stocks and the value of these railways companies. And you will, you know, see who has the most, makes the most money. So this is a game I've only played. It, I think I've only played it once actually because I was like, just look, I opened the box. And I, again, now I want to play it more. <laughs> just like re- remembering. And I've kept it on my shelf forever because I just thought it was so different. I remember feeling like it's you know a, l- a little bit opaque at the time i had never played an 18xx game and i was probably still new to board games but i think i could grok it a lot better now with more market manipulation uh experience yeah. under my belt uh but yeah you're you're trying to kind of increase the value of whichever train you or whichever company you have the you're most invested in or you're trying to invest in the company that's doing that looks like it's doing well and yeah i think it's just like really cool and really unique that it kind of takes 18 xx mechanisms and mixes it with trick taking have you ever played this one
1: i played it once as well uh three players at the portland games collective convention last year
0: oh nice
1: yeah how many players were in your game
0: three players also
1: yeah so It's my understanding um, from being in that community, trick-taking and whatnot, people seem to think that three players is the best way to play the game. Yeah. Um, I have not tried it with other player accounts, um, so I can't really speak to that. But uh, I very much enjoyed it. I did win. But I still
2: enjoyed it. (laughs) Uh,
1: Yeah, it was really neat because as you said, you know, the game's getting deeper and deeper. uh, You're getting closer to the end. So you have a better idea of which companies are good, which companies are bad. So you know what you want to do. But you have less and less agency because you have less cards in your
2: Yeah, So you
1: have less and less options to go for. Um, Yeah, I remember being really fascinated with it. Um, I can't remember the specifics of the rules that much. So I'm glad you did the overview again. It's been like eight months. But (laughs) yeah, I, I definitely came away from it quite curious to explore it more um it definitely had a lot of those shared incentive feels where you're like i'm gonna lay some really good track for this company and then somebody's like well i'm gonna put a terrible train on it or they're like well i'm just gonna take over this company and get all the stock and then yeah. put this awesome train yeah. and like why did i lay that good
2: track
0: <laughs> and so then
1: you're like putting terrible track on other companies, hoping that you don't later regret it because suddenly you find yourself investing in it. Yeah. Ex- it's neat. Yeah. It's, it does a lot for a deck of cards, right?
0: Exactly. And I think like there is so much, both of us have only played it once. There's so much to kind of be explored. You know, you have the choice of mm-hmm. when you're adding cards to the rail, putting it on the left and right and thinking about like what locomotive might end up there, you know, which ones are left, and and you're kind of having some agency over how things might score because it always has to be whichever the, you know the the largest consecutive set. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's 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 really cool. I've kept it all these years and I've wanted to revisit it and now I'm like thirsty it's to my revisit it. It's understanding.
1: It's a very rare game. Uh cool. like not easy to come by. So it's good that you have a copy to actually get a played. Yes. Yes, <laughs> yes. It's a
0: deep cut. <laughs> so that is Trick of the Rails.
1: Awesome. So the uh, game number two, uh, the next game I'm going to be talking about, is the second, well, not really, uh, uh, climbing shedding game. I guess we've talked (laughs) about other ones, but this is the second one I'm highlighting specifically. Uh, Again, mostly we're talking about trick takers, but there are some really cool climbing shedding games out there, and and they're some of my favorite card games. So this one is interesting. So it's technically released in 2023, although I think it's like 99% done
2: okay <laughs> uh, it's called
1: of what's left and it's designed by our mutual friend taylor renner of the uh, uh taylor's trick taking table youtube channel
0: awesome awesome i so do know this, this one
1: it's super cool yes. <laughs> i just played it last night again but i played it several times before so this much like 99 is a standard deck game you can play it right now with a with any deck of cards um, and this is a climbing game but it's kind of like a almost shedding game and and the reason for that is because the conceit is um most shedding games you want to be the first person to play all your cards right and in hachi train it was like you want to play all your cards you don't want to be the last person with cards well in of what's left you want to have the best scoring cards in your hand when somebody else is forced to play all their cards oh. and that's why I wanted to talk about it today because you know we're talking about interesting card games that have like strange takes and new mechanisms that feel different and this one feels so different because you're playing wow. cards out and the, the actual meld play that you're doing is, is pretty straightforward like you know same uh, sets of the same number or runs the runs have to be all in the same suit and everybody gets one uh wild card it's an ace everybody gets one ace at the start of every hand um so you're playing these things out and that's all kind of standard you know somebody plays a, a run you pass on it goes over there but as soon as somebody has five or less cards in their hand they no longer have the option of passing when they have a legal play so normally in these kind of games you can always pass you're like I don't want to play even mm-hmm. though I could I don't mm-hmm. want to play but as soon as you have five cards If somebody plays a seven and you've got a queen, you have to play that queen or like something else that's higher than a seven. So that's why I say when somebody gets forced to play all of their cards, because you're (laughs) going to find yourself in a situation where you, you have to play these cards. And then once somebody goes out, you score points and you lose one point for every card in your hand. And then you gain points for the lowest value card in your hand. And that's essentially Whoa. it. Um, also, if you have more than five cards, you lose two points per card. So play your cards. <laughs> <laughs> and so what this means is like the perfect thing is, you know, Candace, you go out and I have a king. And that's worth 13 points, it's effectively a 13, but then I have one card. So a minus one, 13 minus one, I got 12 points. That's amazing. But what's more likely to happen is I might have three cards and then the lowest card is a six. So that means that's six minus three. I get three points. Hey, I'm still positive. What can happen and what did happen last night against (laughs) me is, so as I said, this is a game about having lots of points in your hand when somebody else goes out. But the flip side to that is you could just shed out. If you are the person to go out, you get zero points by definition. You have no cards in your hand, which normally is a bad thing unless your opponents are sitting there with massive hands. Ah. So what happened last night in one of the hands that we played, I had eight cards in my hand still. And the lowest card I had was a two. So that was eight Times two, 16 negative points, plus two, I got minus 14 points. Ouch. And so there's times where zero is great. as If everybody else is plunged into the negative, right, zero right. will be fine. So it's, it is it is a shedding game. But it also has this mindset of like, when, like how do you play this hand? Like you can look at your hand and you're like, this is an all gas hand. Like just pedal <laughs> to the metal, going to try to go yeah. out as quickly as I can. But what if you – get almost out, but then you kind of stall out and then somebody drops like three sets in a row and you're like, oh no. Crap. Now I'm going to be forced to go out, (laughs) get zero points, and they're going to get points. So it's really fascinating and it's so cool that it all comes out of this standard deck. And I have to be honest, uh, this is one of my favorite Shedding games at this awesome. point, and one of my favorite uh, climbing games in general, climbing shedding games, um, because of that brain space that it puts it puts me into. It just feels so fresh and different. I've taught this, I've played this with uh, teach you players, and it just blows their brains out of their <laughs> skulls because it's so similar and yet so completely different. And uh, yeah, like I said, the game is is effectively done. Um, it hasn't been published or anything like that, and I'm not, I'm not sure if it will. But um, it does have a board game geek page, and in the file section, there is a up to date version of the file, so you oh, can cool. check it out. And play it right now if you have a standard deck of cards and I awesome. could not recommend it more it's 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 weird in all the good ways
0: awesome awesome yeah that one was not on my radar so thanks
1: for
0: <laughs> thanks for sharing it's <laughs> that's, cheap that's of what's left cool
1: yeah.
0: awesome uh, okay so my uh, number two game that I'm mentioning is roulette taking game yeah, uh, I've y- not
1: played this but you I have really okay. want to okay. it sounds so cool I've heard of it
0: this is a game that came out in 2022 from Pay Guild, It's two to four players. I apologize, but uh, I don't know how to pronounce the designer's name. Uh, but it's a roulette-taking game. You can find it on BGG. Um, <laughs> so this is a trick-taking game that mixes trick-taking with roulette. So you have this, like, roulette betting mat. And the whole game, uh, well, each round, you are betting on which card will win the last trick. So... <laughs> When you like
1: the ball just pinging around exactly on the, oh, wheel, like where is it gonna land
0: exactly and the, the cards are numbered 1 to 36 and they're in uh two suits mainly red and black and there are two special zero cards which are trump cards but some black cards have a grim reaper on them and some red cards have a jester on them more on that in a bit but um just know that there's 1 through 36 and two zeros and they're red and black so You'll deal out a certain number of cards based on player count and any cards that uh, aren't dealt out, you're going to block off on the betting board because it's like, well, you know, those numbers are not going to win because they're not even in the game. Um, This is a must follow trick taking game, but um, you can always play trumps. So I mentioned those two zeros are trumps, but uh, the jesters and reapers can be played off suits as trumps. So, um, so basically, yeah, if I play a red, if I lead with a red five, I don't even know if five is a red in this game, but (laughs) if I leave with a red five and you have red cards in your hand, but you also have black cards in your hand that have a grim reaper, you may play a black card with a grim reaper and play it as a trump, um, or you can always play the, the zero or the double zero and, um, I'm pretty sure I think this double zero is the weakest Trump and then the zero and then it's just the strongest Trump is just whatever the highest number is and that would win. And in this game, when you win a trick, if you are not the dealer for the round, this is how you are going to make bets on what card or which number you think might win the very last trick. And the way betting works is it's like if you're familiar with roulette, you can bet on a specific number. And and what that looks like is you have like a token, a token that has your player color and you'll stack some money on it. So we know, okay, Jonathan bet five on number Mm -hmm. 28. He thinks number 28 is going to win. But you could also bet on their spaces for betting that an even number is going to win, an odd number is going to win, a red is going to win, a black is going to win. Um, and there's some other fun betting options. But you basically need to win a trick and not be the dealer to place a bet. If you're the dealer and you win a trick, then you're going to basically be placing one of your betting tokens to basically just block the space and not let anybody bet on it. And oh, uh, yeah, and then at, at the end of the round, after you know we see whatever the number is, um, that was that won the last trick. the the players who had correct bets get paid out based on them. You know, maybe you bet something and it was three to one and you put five bucks, you get 15 bucks now. But for any incorrect bets, that money that you bet goes to the dealer. So so the dealer is kind of the like house Always wins. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> the dealer is trying to, you know, hopefully steer you in the wrong direction as much as possible so that you bet incorrectly and they take your money. Um but if you're a player, you're trying to just make as much money as possible. And I think you basically play um rounds until everybody is the dealer once and then you just see okay. who has the most money. But, um, yeah, I, I just love the betting aspect of this game.
1: That sounds so neat.
0: yeah, and and the fact that the dealer is like kind of plays slightly asymmetrically than the other players um since they're not betting, but they're trying to you know make the house win. So right. um this yeah. this is the one that Jonah showed me at BGGcon last year. I was able to get a copy from Cloudcap Games in Portland, and uh, I just yeah, I think it's just really cool and really unique. So um, I think you should definitely check this one out.
1: Yeah, I, I knew about the roulette bit. I, I didn't. I don't think I knew about the the asymmetry with the dealer. That that's extra. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, to me. Uh, yeah, this is one I've heard a lot of really good buzz about. I, had, I haven't had an opportunity to try it, but it's got a great table presence too. Like it looks like. A craps table, yeah, yeah, the stacks and everything like that, yeah,
0: yeah, and your little currency in the game are these like little tiny like uh like little chips that are different colors. I don't love that, but hey, you could you could go out and like play this with real poker chips if you have nice poker chips. Yeah, Uh, yeah. (laughs) give it give it more of that Vegas feel, but yeah, that is roulette taking game, and it looks like we probably have one more game each to talk about. So I'll let you pass it to you, John.
1: We do, we do, so. If there's anybody listening to this who's really into card games, they're probably sitting there flummoxed. Like, how have they not talked about a single design from Taiki Shenzawa, uh the designer? <laughs> uh, uh, this is a, a very uh, prolific and, uh, you know, maybe polarizing designer from Japan. And I saved it for number one because I had to. Uh, I'm going to be talking about Dois. Have you heard of this one before? I have
0: not heard of Dois.
1: So – Taiki Shinzawa is the designer of this one. Uh, the publisher is, uh, Kentiak, Kentiak and new mill actually. So this is a game that's impossible to get right now, but will be very easy to get in about a year or so is my understanding. It got signed by new mill. Uh, they're gonna have a Kickstarter for it. I believe at some point next year and, uh, it's kind of a new name. I believe it's going to be called charms, but anyway, this is a three to four player game again, uh, designed by Taiki Shinzawa. Um, His more famous games, uh, most famous game is probably Mask Men, uh, but also Ghosts of Christmas, uh, American Bookshop, Ambiente Abyssal, which I almost talked about today. Ambiente Abyssal is a brilliant climbing game.
0: I've always wanted to play that one.
1: Yeah. The Zimbabwe trick, the Green Fiverr, it's just Taiki Shinzawa has designed so many games. And honestly, I could have talked about just his designs. And they're not necessarily my favorite, uh, like from a joy perspective, but from a mechanics perspective, they're all wacky. And in my opinion so far, Dois is the craziest of them. So you have this deck of cards, and in it, you have suit cards, and you have rank cards. So the essentially, your deck of cards is split in two. You okay. shuffle this up, you deal it out, and then... You're going to do trick taking, uh, it's must follow, but every single trick after the first one, you're going to be playing one card down. So the very first trick, you have to play a rank card and a suit card. So you play like the three and the green card. You put them face up in front of you, right next to each other, and that's a green three. You are building a card, essentially, right? Wow. So we all do that the first time, and then as we proceed through, the person who played the strongest card is going to get to lead the next one. Now you only play one card. So let's say I have this green three in front of me, and the person to my um, right, they play a blue card down, and they had like a six. So now they have a blue six. They get to use their six from the last round, and it comes to me, and it's must follow. If I have a blue suit card in my hand, I have to play it covering up the green, which means I now have a three blue. I wasn't able to change the rank. But let's say the person instead played a green and i already have a green in front of me well now i could change the rank because i'm already following um following along so it is this crazy game where you're building your cards as you go and it has some really awesome uh play experiences because you can do things like you know if you look out there and you're like okay my rank is the best i've got a six and every five a four and a two then you could try to lead a suit to force everybody else to have to follow suit so they can't change their rank so that you are already above them because you already have this higher number it's brilliant it is such a completely awesome way to to, to play a trick-taking game like as i said Taiki Shinzawa comes up with really wacky ideas, um, really subverting a lot of the the standard stuff that you can see in trick taking games. Like, oh, this trick taking game is like this, but it's a little bit different, like that. But this one is just super different. I will say that um, I love the card play. The card play is super cool, and I've only played this once, but here I am talking about it after one. Blow your mind. However, I'm not crazy about the scoring. And, in fact, it's my understanding that uh, for the new mill version, they're going to be working on tweaking the, okay, the scoring cool. a little bit. It's a bidding game where you're bidding the number of tricks you're going to take. And imagine that. You're looking at a hand of cards with rank cards and suit <laughs> cards and you're like, I'm going to take four. Yeah, like, how who do you knows? even do that? <laughs> well, bidding is definitely still going to be in it, but the way it's going to be scored is differently. D- different. And it is such a fresh and interesting experience trying to get to your bid and not go over your bid um, while you're playing these things out. Um, yeah, that, that's really cool. all I have to say about it. it, it it's great that it's going to be available. I'm definitely going to be going in for it. I'll um,
0: look out for it. Yeah. Yeah.
1: It's it just it, – it's very – it's highly different. Like one of those things if you drop it on the table and you start talking about it, people are just going to be like, "What? what? <laughs> like, how can this exist?" And you're like, "Well, it does." And it's pretty darn fun, too.
0: So, I played a game at I think at the same BGG Con where I feel like it was a team game where you're like one person plays this I Now I'm wondering like this is not a team game, right? There's no No.
1: No, there's no team base. Because I
0: played something where you you play a suit and a rank, but I thought I think it was a team game because you played okay. diagonal from someone. I feel like James Nathan played this and with me showed me an Eric. That sounds about right. I don't know what it is.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I don't know what it is.
0: And now it's like I'm, but I don't. I've never played this. This sounds amazing though. So I'll yeah. I'll, I'll definitely look out for when they're you know kickstarting or pre-order or whatever because that sounds yeah. awesome.
1: Yeah, and more people need to know about this for sure and it, they certainly will when that that uh, that campaign. And goes.
0: it's pronounced DOIS?
1: Do- I think so. Do-us? I don't know. It's D O I S. Okay. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, well, the last game I'm going to mention is another one that Jonah showed me at VGG Con last year. Man, that was I I learned a lot of cool games. Like half this list is yeah. stuff from that that VGG Con. But uh it is Trick Takers. And this was originally released in 2021 by uh, Joypool Games. But the Portland Games Collective is releasing an English edition. Yes. Um, Sometime this year, I think. I think it's 2023. This is a game designed by Herokin. And it plays with two to five players. And it's a trick-taking game where each round, everybody is going to draft a unique character card, which is going to dictate how you score for the round. And also, each character, like, has... Their own kind of like special abilities. Basically, insane. It's abilities. it's crazy. Like- <laughs> I I when I first played this, I was like, oh, so this is like root, the trick taking game, right? <laughs> like the the it's like each character is its own tr- has its own trick taking game rules, and they're all yeah. like playing against each other. I thought it was so awesome. You basically play three rounds, but it could end. You know, there are a couple of different like auto victory conditions that can make it end early. You Every round, you'll have a hand of five cards and you'll get your character. There are eight different characters in the base game, but you, you'll you only have five that you'll be like playing with that are draftable. Mm-hmm. And throughout the game, you can gain crowns. If uh, you get a gold crown, if you won the most tricks in a round and you get a black crown, if you won zero tricks or did not win any tricks and you automatically win if you are able to get two crowns or three. Or if you're able to get three black crowns, two gold yeah. crowns, you win, three black crowns, you win.
1: Or a bunch of other auto-win Yeah, conditions. but then there, there's yeah. a lot of ways.
0: E- each character also has their own auto, <laughs> auto-win auto conditions. And then you, like, basically your character will probably come with some special setup rules. Sometimes uh, certain characters add different cards or different components, and it'll show you, like, how your tricks will be scored, Um, It's a must follow trick taking game. There are four colored card suits and then there are a couple special cards like a rare card and then which is uh, higher than anything. They go from one to nine. The cards go from one to nine. So the rare card is the only thing that beats a nine. And then there's also a white flag card, which is the weakest suit. So if you're ever trying not to win and you have that, that's pretty good. But um, the thing that stands out, again, about this game is that the characters are so unique and so different. Um, you know, you have the king who who mainly wants to just win as many tricks as possible. I think, like, if you win five, that's, like, one of the auto-win conditions. And,
1: and you, they get extra rare cards. Yeah,
0: yeah. You get an extra rare card, like a special rare card. And then, uh, but I think it's one that, like, you, other players could tell you still have it in your hand because the back yeah, is yeah, different. yeah. yeah. Then there's like a gambler where you're like where you're bidding on how many tricks you think you'll win uh, and you gain and lose points based on that. There's like the hermit who loses points if they if they win only one or two tricks. But otherwise you gain points and they have a special ability where before they play a card, uh, each trick, they get to draw a card from the deck and then discard one. And there's like, yeah, there's like there's the adventurer who gets this deck of item cards and they're interacting with these item cards that give abilities. So yeah, I think it's just such a really, really unique game. And it's I, I think it's really fascinating how you have all of these different playing characters playing against each other, you know?
1: Yeah, like how the heck does that work? The the, the rules can be so different from one to the next yeah the berserker throws away their entire hand and then draws from a super hand yeah if they win too much they lose yeah Uh, it's wild and and then there's there's a whole expansion with seven more characters yeah even more crazy there's like an alchemist that you play like multiple cards and meld them together and you've got (laughs) i I, it's crazy yeah
0: i've only played with like the the basic five that they recommend you starting with um, yeah. But I do have the uh, expansion, like both the expansion and there's like a little one or something. But yeah,
1: it's kind of a standalone, separate thing. Yeah,
0: yeah. So this one will be like I have the Japanese edition, and I just printed the English rules off BGG. Um, they posted English rules, but there is again an English edition coming out from uh, Portland Games Collective, which is yeah. awesome. So look out for that if you're into stuff like this that you know where you have like. <laughs> Just kind of wacky, like unique abilities. The character, the animals are really cool, like the art is That's really adorable. cool. Adorable. The yeah. components are great too. Yeah, the great components. And uh the other thing is there's another game uh by the same designer in the same universe, the trick takers universe coming out called King's Trick Takers. And that I don't know too much about it, but it's like it's a little I've bit. I backed it
1: on Kickstarter. Oh,
0: okay. Like, yeah. It, yeah, it,
1: I mean I don't know a ton about it either. Yeah. But yeah, it's similar, lots of asymmetry. It's... It's that what I believe, cool. you draft um, like one asymmetry for the whole game, the and whole then you also game. draft other asymmetries for each hand. Yeah, um, it and yeah, wacky. you mentioned Little Trick Takers earlier. Yes, which is, that's what I was trying it, to. It, It's not really, it's sort of an expansion. It's not actually standalone. You need oh, the base game, yeah. but it doesn't mix with it. It, it, it has its own special rules, oh, interesting. and it has this crazy thing where you meld two different asymmetries together <laughs> it's there's just it's it's so kind of much. a crazy universe with all three of these games essentially yeah. with the, the with the base trick takers and little trick takers and kings they're all they have similar art similar universe thematically and then also just a similar universe of just insanity with the uh the different rules and stuff yeah and uh yeah. it's a bit uh, a lot to uh on to get there but People seem to really love it. I've actually only played it once, um, but I built a highly scripted tabletop simulator mod uh, for the base game and oh, the expansion nice. characters, and so I got to really kind of dig into that world. Oh, that's a little bit. cool! Um, that's awesome. There's, like a, there's a time traveler in the expansion where you can rewind time. Oh
0: my goodness! It's like,
1: like, 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 be like, you know what? Let's redo that trick. I don't <laughs> like how that went. I mean, just crazy stuff.
0: Wow! Wow! <laughs> yeah, I haven't even like really looked into it because I'm like, yeah, still wrapping my head around.
1: Again, like the base game,
0: the base game factions. But yeah, it's just like a mishmash of like a bunch of different things from different trick taking games and just other kind of games. And yeah, I I think that the real special thing is these these unique characters that you're drafting. Um, So I yeah, this is a really cool one. It won't be for everyone, just like any game. But um, if that sounds exciting to you, it's called trick takers. (laughs)
1: Yeah. Cool and that was a lot of games that hey, was
0: you know what like when I we, I could
1: talk about 20 more right now too it,
0: it's crazy because like we were when we were talking about doing card games I was like, oh this will be a, a shorter episode cool you know but it's like we're nope. both so excited about them there's so much to say about these like awesome games that are coming out. And yeah, no that that was that was so great. It was awesome talking to you, Jonathan. You know, it like it's kind of like we're hanging out, and I wish we lived closer so we could play games together because I feel like we have some similar tastes.
1: Absolutely, <laughs> we'll make it happen, conventions or the internet yes, or otherwise. We'll
0: we'll figure it out. <laughs> so uh, thanks again for joining me today.
1: Thank you for inviting me. I really appreciate it. This is a lot of fun.
0: You've been listening to the Board Game Geek Podcast, produced and edited by Candace Harris. Special thanks to Matt Fonda for editing and mixing our music. Be sure to visit us on the web at boardgamegeek.com. You can also find us on YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, and Twitch under Board Game Geek. You can reach us by email at podcast at boardgamegeek.com. Thanks for listening, and happy gaming!